Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna call it now. Good evening, it is 6 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ, Mark Watson with you through to 10 o'clock tonight alongside of me, Ben Francis, looking forward to having your company. If you do want to have your say on the New Zealand Trotting Cup from Addington, 0800 150 is the number, you can text us here on 8833. Also the opportunity throughout the evening to discuss anything that you might have heard on other shows throughout the day. Got a cricket World Cup semi-final to be played tomorrow night against Pakistan. Countdown to a Women's Rugby World Cup final. We've got a Rugby League semi-final against the might of Australia. I just want to know, and I went on this last night, but just maybe for those that are possibly driving home, if you could pick one, the T20 Cricket World Cup, the Women's Rugby World Cup or the Rugby League World Cup, which one would you take? Which one has the most meaning for you? Text us here on double eight double three. Now, throughout the evening, we will have an eclectic mix of sport. Peter Mears will join us on the program, a well-known Australian broadcaster, or a veteran. He's going to talk about the Wallabies. We're going to do that after eight o'clock. Almost, almost got up and beat a very good French team. I'm not sure that a lot of people saw that performance coming. We will also preview the T20 semi-final against Pakistan. Matthew Hayden on the programme. We'll also hear from Kane Williamson. We're going to talk some Q Sports. We're going to talk some Paul, one of the best in the world living here in New Zealand, a Dutch player by the name of Marco Toysen, number 23 in the world. He, along with a New Zealand contingent, are heading off to the World Pool Championships. And Marco will be representing New Zealand for the first time. He originally... Represent, or he normally represents the Netherlands, but it is a big sport, Q Sports. So we will talk that with Marco Toysha round about 7.30. Uh, 9.30 tonight, we will talk some baseball. We will uh, talk the Brisbane Bandits because the Australian Baseball League gets underway. The Auckland Tuatara in action against Brisbane away starting on Thursday. And that's where we are going to start the show tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the Auckland Tuatara. Two years ago, a remarkable season. Came up short in the finish, 
but I think captured the imagination of a lot of sports fans, sports fans who were familiar with baseball at a major league level. By the end of the Australian Baseball League season, I think it really endeared themselves to the Auckland Tuatara. Dale Budge, heavily involved in the organisation from a media, from a management point of view, now joins us on the programme. Dale, good evening, welcome. Hey Mark, how you going, man? Yeah, good, thank you. How tough's been the last two years? You had great momentum back in 2019, 2020. Suddenly COVID came along and basically a sport that had got so much momentum uh, yeah, basically went into hibernation for two years. And now, finally, we are back. How difficult the last two years? How difficult has the last six months been in terms of trying to re-establish this very important summer franchise? Not going to lie, Mark, it's been incredibly difficult. Um, you know, there's been a lot of days where you sit there. You know, when we, when we made the decision to pull out uh, fairly late in the piece in 2020, 2021, and the league it was when we had those border restrictions. There was doubt about whether we'd be able to get back straight away into the country, what that quarantine situation looked like, whether you could get a, you know, a spot in MIQ. Um, then there was the, you know, the fact of what it would do to your brand playing in Australia exclusively. You weren't going to have access to all your players because a lot of them wouldn't be able to commit. So it probably meant a weaker roster, which ultimately means a weaker team performance. So you're probably going to lose a lot more games than you win. You're going to be being out of sight, out of mind with horrible time zones. You know, not playing any games in the New Zealand broadcast time zone. Um, yeah, it just it just meant that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't have anything worth uh, what it was. The following season, so we thought, oh, we'll sit, we'll sit out, we'll sit out for one, survive, get through it. But then to have a second year where the whole league was forced to sit out, it wasn't just us. The whole league, yeah, incredibly difficult. There were times there where I think we probably questioned whether we would be able to come back. There are a lot of people that said, you know, you won't survive, you won't get through this. That uh, has been a challenge. There's, there's no question. It's been a, you know, I think as it has done for all sport. It's it's been the biggest challenge probably that um, the world's faced since World War Two, and um, on some levels it's very satisfying to be here now and to know that we've got a team. They're about to hop on a plane tomorrow morning and head off to Brisbane and, and compete this week. Um, it's, it's incredibly satisfying, uh, but at the same time it's, there's an awful lot of work um, that is we still have to do to to get through because you know we've we've got to get through a season. Everyone's belts are tighter. Um, you know, we have to re-establish ourselves. We talked about we created a bit of momentum a couple of years ago, and it's been probably nearly three years, isn't it, by the time we take to the field. Um, we have to re-establish all that, and that's not easy. So, yeah, in many ways, you're back to square one again. Why are you, Regan Wood, John Flett, and a couple of private backers doing this? I mean, so many headaches, so difficult, such a difficult <laughs> landscape. What is motivating you? What is the purpose of this team? We ask ourselves that a lot. I can, I can tell you some of you, honestly. Um, no, one gets, no one gets rich in sport in New Zealand. You know, whether you're talking about the Warriors or the Breakers or the Phoenix or any other professional sports team that's, that's been and gone before, um, it's, it's a very difficult market. There's more zeros probably behind their profits and losses or their, their, their spend and their revenue, but ultimately they have some of the problems that we have. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, we, we care about the sport. You know? Ultimately, that's what it is. We, we, we love baseball. Uh, we're all baseball people. We know that there is something there that 
people will gravitate to as they get more familiar with it. We started to see that um, mentality bear fruit towards the end of that 2019-20 season when we, we had the second biggest crowd in ABL history for our first ever playoff game. Um, you know, be, it would have been magical to just continue that ride and pick up that off-season and come back into a, a normal summer again, having built some momentum. It would have been mm. great to see where we might be. Um, but unfortunately, that's not how it played out, so we're, we're going to have to do it again. Um, but we're up for it, you know. Like, life's not easy. And uh, we had this little conversation last night. We had a team dinner and sort of launch of the season. Finally, everyone that's involved in the group's here and sort of talked about a few of the things and themes that we want to have for the for the year ahead. And, um, you know, the hashtag that Mincy's come up with fuels the journey, and it's about finding the motivation that each of us has. We all have different challenges, you know, like to, to, to really succeed in life, to, to experience what success is, you have to go through adversity and you have to be challenged and you know, when you when you go through that and then you succeed, you appreciate the success a lot more and it comes easy, it, it doesn't mean as much and so we've all, you know, we feel like we've been to hell and back and um, each of us for different reasons, you know, the whole group, those players, a lot of them have had injury plagued seasons in, in their professional leagues around the world and so this is an opportunity to come and be healthy, improve their worth again, earn a contract in some cases. You know, Mincy himself's looking for a job um, as, as a manager again. Um, we've all got a point to prove. You know, we're the front office. We, we, you know, we've stuck through this when people said we were crazy and it wasn't going to work. Um, you know, now's a chance for us to, hmm. to to show them that you know we saw something that others perhaps didn't. And um, yeah, we're, we're certainly highly motivated. Fair to say. Yeah, Dale, I think because baseball's never established itself in this country, it's always been softball. You hear of suddenly a New Zealand franchise playing in baseball, and I imagine the thought is, oh, well, it'll be pretty amateur. I mean, let's be honest, we've got no depth. But it's anything but. Give us, give our listeners an idea, firstly, of the pedigree of the coaching staff. I know that was officially released today. But also just give people out there an idea of the type of players and also the affiliation that the Tuatara does have with the Major League Baseball clubs so that people can gain an understanding of just the level and quality of players that are going to be playing here in Auckland over the summertime. Yeah, so look, I mean, this is a, this is the strongest roster we've put together in the three years that we've been we've been doing this. Um, okay, it's been a two-year break since we last did it, but uh, the, the crop of New Zealanders, you know, when we started out the first year, there were really only a couple of New Zealanders that were capable of playing at that level. What I mean by that is another team would have, one of our rival teams would have offered them a, a playing contract. Um, now we feel that we've got a group of all, all of the New Zealanders, there's, there's seven of them on our full-time roster, we feel that they would command a spot elsewhere, that they deserve to be playing in this league. They're at a, at a level where, you know, that, that suits that suits without... They're, they're playing professionally overseas, you know? Like, that's that's the remarkable thing, is all of these New Zealanders are playing professionally overseas. Andrew Mark is the one exception, and fortunately for him, he's injured to start with. So, you know, we feel it's a really strong local group. Um, there's no freebies, there's no free passes. Where in the previous years, we've carried New Zealanders simply because they were New Zealanders, and it helped the, the points cap. Um, and it helps, you know, hopefully attract a fan base to come and support local. But we now have New Zealand players that deserve to be here, um, and they get their own merit. And then you look at the, the rest of the group. Professional players all around the world from some of the biggest organisations there are. You know, three players from the San Diego Padres, three from the Texas Rangers, one from the San Francisco Giants, one from the Phillies, from the Detroit Tigers, the Chicago White Sox. Um, you know, you've got players out of the Monkeys in Taiwan, 
the brothers of Taiwan, are two of the you know major league Chinese major league teams. Um, that you know people don't people in New Zealand don't realise how big baseball is in in Southeast Asia. You know Japan, massive in Japan, it's a special sport. Um, so you know we've got players, ex MPB players that have spent you know a, a career playing in the in the major leagues in Japan coming down to play. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, on paper this is much stronger than anything we put together before. Games not played on paper, they've got to go out and perform. You know, and, and the other teams in the league are better as well. So we sit here, we over you know, and I feel like we've done the best job we can with assembling a roster. We're really happy with it. It's looked great um, in training the last week or so that most of them have been here. Uh, but now we sit back and see how they go with, when it counts. Mm. You know, ultimately, wins and losses are what you measured, what you measured on, obviously. Yeah, it, look, cricket is a game that's dominated by the bat. Baseball is a game that's dominated by the ball, but very strategic. Um, it's like watching um, the best batsman in the world facing Shane Warne at one end and Glenn McGrath at the other, and everything's strategic and everything's about leading the batter or the hitter into some sort of false sense of security, etc., and then capitalising on the mistake. Pitching so, so crucial. We've got a very strong Asian contingent, including pitchers who have pitched in the major leagues, as mentioned. Yeah, we, we feel, especially the starting rotation. Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be announced officially uh, tomorrow or, uh, or Thursday morning, but um, yeah, there's, there's a, a wealth of experience. So I think it's pretty obvious that Toru Marata, the former Cleveland Indians or Cleveland Guardians, they are now major league pitcher, will be one of the starters. Um, yeah, it's a very Asian-dominated starting uh, rotation for us this year, so there'll be players out of the, the Taiwanese league that'll be key starters for us. Like Josh Gester will be there, the Texas Rangers youngster who's um, yeah, played in the ABL before. He's Australian-born, so um, he has some experience there, albeit a few years ago, and he's become a much more rounded and better player now. So we, we feel very, very confident with that starting rotation. And I think there's more depth down yeah, the bullpen. Um, a couple of electric arms out of the bullpen, the two Padres players, you know, Chase Walter, six foot seven, can throw 100 mile an hour. Um, you know, has a career ERA in low threes in the minor leagues. I mean, that is, in anyone's measure, a you know, a phenomenal record over over a fair amount of innings pitched too. I might add, he just needs to be healthy. If he's healthy, that guy is going to be a scary prospect for players to face in, in the ABL. Jason Blanchard, another one, lefty reliever out of the Padres, who will be very strong. Um, and then Oscar Nakaoshi, who basically shut down the New Zealand Diamondbacks at the World Baseball Classic, um, you know, a workhorse pitcher who can probably pitch three out of four days as a reliever, lefty reliever out of the bullpen. Um, yeah, we feel like there's a real, real depth to it this year. And the New Zealand pitchers, you know, your Elliot Johnson, who was Rookie of the Year last time round, Ben Thompson, who was signed with the Atlanta Braves um, in their organisation until earlier this year, and Connor Gleason, who's come out of college in the US. Their stuff looks every bit as good as the stuff that the professional players from the major league clubs have, have had. It's about locating, it's about being healthy, in Elliot's case, and Ben's case. Um, you know, we think that they can have real success in this league and with the right coaches around them, get the best out of themselves, really think they can overachieve. You know, they'll go and they'll fly under the radar, those players, but we think that they can, they can uh, you know, be players that can really help us win. 
It is 17 minutes after six. We are talking the Auckland Tuatara baseball franchise. They get underway on Thursday in Brisbane. They take on the Brisbane Bandits. Dale Budge is my guest on the programme. Dale, uh, just run through some of the front office, the coaching staff, like Darren Bragg is an example. He's been a long time in the majors. You can find highlights on him on YouTube playing for the Boston Red Sox. Why are such high-quality coaches coming down here basically for nothing and investing their time in New Zealand baseball? Uh, look, I, to be honest, I can't speak on behalf of, of Darren. I mean, it's a question you probably have to ask him, but my guess is he really enjoys his time here. The fact that this is a baseball outpost, that you know, this is one of the few parts of the world that probably you know hasn't embraced baseball until recently. Um, there's so much raw potential. You know, New Zealand is a great sporting nation. We are, yeah, we're, we're athletic. Um, we have all the natural tools. Our, our sports stars have the natural tools, and, and we're, we're likable people. You know, like we're a pretty humble, humble kind of country. Humble beginnings. You know, um, number eight Y mentality, and that's that's cool. That you know, like for, for Americans that have spent their entire life working in baseball to come down and have a new challenge like that, um, yeah, and, and play a little a little role in perhaps getting New Zealand into a you know into baseball to a significant degree is is satisfying, you know? Like we all we all want to be remembered when we're gone, right? Like it's a it's a natural thing to seek immortality and in a small small little way, these baseball people are coming down here starting something from scratch that, you know, is, is setting the tone for what lies ahead in the years to come. Maybe in ten, twenty, thirty years time, with any luck, the franchise is still going. You know, those of us that have been involved now and will long be forgotten and Probably not even known now, but you know, we'll be very satisfied that we've done our little part if, if this thing's still going in, in 10, 20 years. And maybe there's one or two Claxton Shields sitting in the uh, trophy cabinet along the way. Yeah, we're going to have Sam Brief on the program at 9.30 tonight. He's the American voice who will be, who will be the yeah. voice of the Brisbane Bandits. He will be calling the games for them. So how do people watch Dale at the moment? How do people watch the Tuatara when they're playing in Australia? So um, all games this year are going to be on the the app. There's a, an app that the ABL has put together, uh, which is which is fantastic because it means that every single game that we play on the road will be accessible to New Zealand. It's a free app. If you go to the ABL website, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see the um, uh, the link to the story and the explanation of how to, to sign up. It's a, it's a free, as I say, it's a free subscription, and you can watch any game in the ABL in real time. You can watch it um, uh, on demand. Uh, we're still to sort out. I've got to be a bit careful with the words I use. We're, nothing is confirmed yet about the Tuatara home games. Um, at worst, the, uh, they'll all be on this platform. There is still a possibility that they will appear on a New Zealand uh, broadcast provider. Um, I'm just sort of working through the finer details on on those options. And either way, you know, Tuatara fans can relax that there will be live baseball accessible for free uh, to them. All 40 games that we play this year. Mm, absolutely, Dale. Hey, look, um, lovely to have you on the programme. Um, great work, great effort. Looking forward to this first series against the Brisbane Bandits. What are you expecting from them? Oh, mate, they're a dangerous proposition. You know, they're, you know, you know, use a terminology from some of the more familiar sports. You know, they'd be like the Melbourne Storm or the Sydney Roosters, the NRL competition, or the you know, Crusaders, or the Hurricanes, or someone from the um, Super Rugby. Uh, they're or thereabouts every year. Melbourne's sort of been the team to beat the last couple that we've played. Um, Brisbane had a, a strong dominance prior to that. They still have talent all the way through. They've recruited well. There's some good American imports 
uh, in that side this year. They're going to be missing, both teams are missing the Australian contingent for the first two games of the series. Uh, the Australian national team's playing up in Japan, but uh, we expect that those players, the Brisbane players, in the Aussie lineup, will be back for the Saturday and Sunday games. So, um, yeah, they'll get stronger as the series goes on. We're hoping that we might be able to start strong, maybe pitch one, if not two games, of them to start the series and then uh, see how it shakes out, excuse me, later in the um, later in the series. And I know Mincy's been um, thinking and thinking and thinking about how to approach this one and what to do with this roster and what to do with his pitches with uh, with that in mind. So um, look for some, some slightly out-of-the-box thinking perhaps for this first series. Mm. And just quickly, Dale, that first home series, if people do want to get along to North Harbour Stadium, do want to watch this team up close, and I think they did a stunning job two years ago, and I, I, I do recommend to people get along. It is, I think it's a better sport live. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You've got to experience baseball live. It is like, it's a great way to spend a summer afternoon, irrespective of whether you're into the sport or not. Sitting in the sun, food's good, you know, you can sit there, have a drink, enjoy yourself. Something a little bit different. We certainly put on a show. We realise that, you know, baseball's not necessarily going to be the only thing that brings people to a ballpark. You've got to entertain them. And, you know, our goal is that no matter what happens on the, on the diamond, whether we play well or, or poorly, our fans will leave entertained and having felt that they got good value for money. So um, that, that is our number one goal. It has been right since we started the franchise. Um, I'm sure that uh, there'll be plenty of things to entertain at a ballpark. So, yeah, I highly recommend people go and check it out. Dale Budge, enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you for your time. No, thanks, mate. Thanks for your support. 23 minutes after 6, you're listening to SENZ. Dale Budge, we're going to talk baseball again at 9.30 tonight. Sam Brief, the voice of Brisbane, will be on the programme to give us an Australian perspective on the ABL. Do encourage people to get along to North Harbour Stadium. They do do a fantastic job. It is worth going. It's a novelty at least. Very least, it's a great afternoon. It is a wonderful novelty, and hopefully, it then becomes a habit. 23 minutes after six, you're listening to SENZ. 28 and a half minutes after six, we will bring you new sport and weather very shortly here on SENZ. Eight o'clock tonight, Peter Mears on the program, Australian broadcaster, a veteran in broadcasting, will give us his thoughts on the Wallabies' performance against France. What chance does he give the Wallabies a year out from the Rugby World Cup? Who is the number one rugby side in the world at the moment too? Text us here on double eight double three. I was having that conversation with a colleague today. Who is the number one rugby side in the world? Is it Ireland? Is it France? Where does New Zealand sit? Uh, just one of the other themes that I do just want to put out throughout the night just to keep the text machine going on double eight double three is... Of the three World Cups going on at the moment, and I'm not going to include the Women's Rugby League World Cup, I just think it's a bit of a sham and I don't think it's got a lot of credibility and I'm going to stick to that. I'm not going to get caught up in identity politics and the political the politicalisation of um, some of the stuff that's going on at the moment. But the Women's Rugby World Cup, the Cricket World Cup, the T20 Cricket World Cup and the, and the Rugby League World Cup, which one would you, if you could choose just one, which one would it be? Text us here on double eight double three. We will get the thoughts of Ben Francis very shortly here on the programme. 28 minutes away from 7 o'clock. Ben Francis, you're a big Auckland baseball fan, Tuatara fan. You're going to go along and watch the Tuatara this summer? I will be. I definitely will be. This time I actually learned my partner actually kind of likes baseball. Mm. Uh, she, she said to me last week, she said, do you know you've actually never asked me what sports I actually like? And I sat there and I thought, you're actually right. I actually never have. So, yeah, I've got to take it to an uh, Auckland Tuatara game. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough uh, two years ago to do the commentary for the Tuatara. Um, and, and, look, it's a game that 
you know, as a commentator, you've got to learn it. And I'll be honest and put my hand up, and I was pretty damn averaged through a lot of the season. By the time this season came around, I was reasonably happy with the way things were going. And I've been lucky enough to do some club stuff since then. Um, but I've got to say, it was one of the best broadcasting experiences I've had. And I think part of it was because it was such a small team. So you felt like you were actually part of the sort of the whole setup. You were part like the players, there was the players, the management the front thing and then there was that sort of little commentary team as well and we're all sort of really tight-knit and it's all about trying to build this brand and trying to sort of sell the sport so um, and I just was so amazed at how well North Harbour Stadium presented itself the quality of baseball and just you know and I think when you learn to call it the subtleties that go on with that sport and if you can understand some of the subtleties I think you find it a far more interesting game you understand you know you see the ball dominating the bat and we used to T20 cricket we used to see the ball go over the fence every two seconds but if you like test cricket particularly um, then I think you should be drawn to baseball we're only going to play seven inning games here in New Zealand uh, traditionally it's nine inning in Australia, they will play nine inning. Here, we play seven, just to speed it up a little bit, just to put a little bit more pressure on through those middle order innings, encouraging sides to be a little bit more attacking. But they're also smart enough to realise that because it is a relatively new sport here in New Zealand, I'm not sure that we've got the attention span for three plus hours, where I think we can grab people's attention for two hours. And so I think it's a really, really good initiative. And I know the Australian Baseball League were looking at trying to maybe bring that across the whole league. That is not going to be the case. In Australia, they will play nine inning games, unless on the Saturday where they have the double header. If they've got two games in a day, which is looking like for every series, then they'll just play both those games will be just seven inning. It's quite interesting hearing that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Jared Koenig. Um, we've had Greg Koenig on the programme. Jared came down here in 2019-2020 season. He was signed out of independent baseball in America. So you can imagine how big America is. They have a lot of baseball leagues. Not all of them are affiliated to the major leagues. And so you've got private owners in small towns with their own baseball clubs, and that's called uh, independent ball. And Jared was on a recommendation, came down here. He was about 26, 27 Pitched brilliantly while down here. Got noticed by the Oakland Athletic Scouts when they were playing in Melbourne because the Scouts watched this league. That's such the standard. Got signed on a minor league deal. Went back to the left New Zealand early, which didn't help our playoff chances, but that's just the reality. Yeah, I do of remember it. that, yeah. Uh, missed the first season in the minors because of the season being cancelled due to COVID. Then went into AA, which is the lowest form of minors. Got promoted then to AAA, and as you know, because I've spoken to you about this, this year then was called up and made his major league debut and is now part of the Oakland Athletics 40-man roster. And so that's what this league offers. And I look at baseball in this country, and we've got more and more kids getting university scholarships, more and more guys getting a look in at some of these minor league teams. We've only got to get that one Stephen Adams, and baseball goes through the roof here. And that makes it quite interesting in that you think, why don't some of these sports get more funding because of that effect? You look at basketball and you think of the, the Stephen Adams effect basketball has had in New Zealand. You literally cannot drive past a basketball court anywhere without at least one person being there. Oh, Even, I don't know, you would have seen the ones in Albany, the ones that, the, the nice ones oh. they built. Fantastic. I sometimes drive past here, you know, past midnight and there's people out there playing, you know? Well, and, and this is the mistake that I think high performance 
um, High Performance Sport NZ have made in the mistake. We, we measure our success by Commonwealth and Olympic Games, but you go, hang on a minute, how much weight do you put on basketball producing an NBA player? How much weight do you put on football producing a Premier League player? How much, you know what I mean? And it's like, you're telling me Stephen Adams somehow pales in comparison to a sport who produces a bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games, but because of winning that bronze medal takes some sort of funding criteria. Finally, some common sense has prevailed. And you talk to anybody in rugby circles and those traditional sports circles, and they will tell you they are under siege, and they'll all tell you that it's basketball that is just taking most of the numbers, most of the players. Oh, well, it's a fun game to play. I used to play it at high school and... Even, you know, say just going to the local court and shooting a few hoops, it's just a lot of fun, especially when you start hitting some of those shots. Yeah, so look, I just encourage you, if you're, you're, you know, a little bit, say, annoyed with the way rugby's treated you over the years and you just want to do something different, you live in the Auckland, greater Auckland region, I do encourage you to get along to North Harbour Stadium, pretty cheap entry cost to get in, and go and watch the Tuatara, go and watch the baseball, go and watch guys who have actually played in the major leagues. You know, when the ball leaves the hand of a pitcher and a guy can throw 100 miles an hour, he'll only come in for an inning perhaps. That's 160 kilometres an hour. Unlike in cricket, the ball might come out at 150, but time it's bounced and gone past the batsman, it's down to about 120. This leaves the hand at 100 mile an hour and it continues past the batter at 100 mile an hour. It is very, very scary to watch. And then you imagine that ball dipping, that ball curving, that ball sliding then they suddenly take the pace off it a little bit and you've got that split second. And just to put it in context, if you fail three, if you fail seven out of ten times in baseball as a hitter, you're world class. If you fail seven out of ten times, you're world class. You'll be making millions in the major leagues. 21 minutes away from seven, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll hear from Matthew Hayden out of the Pakistan T20 camp. We'll also hear from Kane Williamson. It is coming up to 15 minutes away from seven. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you alongside of me, Ben Francis. Big game tomorrow, one of the biggest games in the history of New Zealand cricket. And I do genuinely say that. No different than the semi-final of the number of one-day World Cups that we've made. Clearly the final of the Test Cricket Championship and of course, the two World Cup finals that we've made in the one-day game as well as the previous T20 Cricket World Cup. We take on Pakistan. Matthew Hayden, the former Australian opening batsman, is part of the Pakistan setup, and he provided some thoughts to the media on how he sees this game. Jadab actually said something very significant in the dugout the other day when we were playing our last match, and uh, he said, welcome to Pakistan cricket. <laughs> meaning that on any given day, anything can happen. And on that particular day when Netherlands beat South Africa, it was a significant moment for us in the tournament um, and a very, very significant moment um, for the team in general around its potential and reaching that potential. Um, Lots of prayers as Pakistan woke up to see that result. 232 million people can't be wrong. And uh, as a result of that, I feel that there was a very much an uplifting tempo in our group, um, which made that match against Bangladesh almost a certainty for Pakistan. So incredible experience. And as you say, rightly, it has been a roller coaster ride, uh, but a ride that I wouldn't have in any other way because 
the last World Cup that we went into were undefeated and then Australia pipped us in the semi-final. So um, really significant for Pakistan. You know, one of the great parts about media is that uh, all of us, players, support staff, we all understand the importance and significance of, of campaigns. And 92 was a memorable one for Pakistan cricket. Um, it was also a tournament that was plagued by the by the uh, the nuances of Pakistan cricket, and that is that there's not just a dominant performance. There's there's a performance, you know, that gets challenged, and then Pakistan suddenly turn up and they're dangerous and formidable. Um, and that tournament was exactly that. I can remember remember watching that actually from, you know, the bleachers uh, just as a fan and thinking Pakistan cricket with that fast bowling attack uh, and that batting lineup is something that we really have to look out for as Australian cricketers. Um, and as it turned out, so did England. So, you know, it was a wonderful campaign. And, and of course, you know, those forefathers of cricket, um, a lot of these players, they grew up admiring, watching, looking at the way that they played um, and then hoping one day that they could also be great like that side was. Yeah, the Australian team's got some thinking to do. Um, there, has, there has to be some freshness. And, and I think one of the great strengths of Australian cricket has been its ability to be able to recognise when to make that gear change into a different playing rostrum. Um, I think full credit and respect has to go to the players that played this tournament, certainly deserve to be there. Um, but a little bit like Mark Wall giving away to someone like myself after World Cup campaigns, it's always been quite ruthlessly preparing for the next World Cup. And they seemingly come around more often than not now. Just 12 months ago, we were sitting here talking about the T20 champions, and that was Australia. Here we are again with, on the eve of another semi-final. Um, so the tournaments are coming around thick and fast, but certainly from an Australian cricket point of view, there has to be some planning heading towards World Cups. They're the premium events. They're the events that everyone across the world plans for, and Australia, unfortunately, just didn't get it right. Look, this match, they played against Australia, and they got 200 on this particular wicket, actually. Um, and Dev Conway was you know, incredibly destructive during that, uh, that particular match. Um, and Australia capitulated, bowled out for 111. So clearly when you have a, a big batting effort, and I think New Zealand have some really destructive uh, players, um, you can be put under pressure with the bat. Uh, and that almost was their perfect game, I felt, in the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, some you know, huge balance. They've also got a terrific bowling attack, a well-balanced bowling attack, um, a good mixture of experience as well. I mean, I even played against Tim Southie. That goes to show you how much experience that that Tim has got. Um, but again, he turns up, he can swing the ball. Um, Locke Ferguson has got great pace, lots of experience in T20 cricket as well. So poses good threats. And then they've got a good off-pace bowling as well. So, you know, I think like New Zealand sport in general, um, it, they, they really punch above their weight. They believe they can win this tournament and they've got the potential to do that. So lots of threats you know, to our camp, no question. No, I don't think specifically there's relevance um, other than it's always nice to have the rubber, the green um, on a cricket team. Um, look, really, it comes down to, Glenn, just that sense of belief and that purpose, you know, and T20 cricket has a, a wonderful way of, of creating a roundabout where you get spat out the wrong side of it because someone's had a fantastic day. Um, it's one of the few versions of our sport where it's not just the test of, of uh, skill sets under pressure. Um, but it's also a test of innovation. And I think New Zealand have really, you know, shown some wonderful innovation, you know, through the course of this tournament and for the last number of years, you know, narrowly um, missing out also in the last World Cup. So lots of threats for us, as I said. But on the day and any given day, there can be one star player that can take it away from you, which is rare. 
um, in the other formats of the games, you've got to have multiple contributions. Yeah, I think he summed up T20 cricket quite nicely. Let's hear from the New Zealand cricket captain, Kane Williamson, on the eve of the semi-final against Pakistan. I mean, they're a strong team. Uh, we know it's going to be a, a tough match and both teams um, to be in the semis have been playing some good cricket throughout. So um, I guess the, the past is the past and I'm sure both teams are looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's just focusing on our cricket. You come to these tournaments and, and as we've seen, uh, all teams can beat each other and it's um, certainly made way for a pretty exciting event. Uh, and, you know, I guess you're going through it trying to adjust the conditions as quickly as possible, make those changes to the different opposition and um, and really go out and try and express yourselves. And it's been nice that we've been able to see that um, throughout this competition. Um, and, you know, we certainly want to be doing that again tomorrow. Yeah, I, I suppose it was kind of interesting. The first game we played here, the wicket was a, a very good one. And then and then the second time we played here, it had changed. And, uh, and sometimes you can take, you know, perhaps what you were expecting the wicket to be like in the first game and, and think it would behave in the same way, which it didn't. So whether that's a disadvantage or, or an advantage, it's sort of hard to know. Both teams have played here. So, um, yeah, it'll be looking to focus um, on on our cricket, really, and, and the plans that we want to um, look to execute and, and make sure we do adjust uh, to the conditions and try and play smart. You know, with the, the fickle nature of T20 and the the competitive nature of um, of the the tournament with all teams um all games being closed basically and and other all teams beating each other um you know sort of means that there's there's not a reliance on on one or two it's um it's guys trying to play their roles as well as they can and make contributions towards you know what we're trying to do as a team and and we've seen that um you mentioned glenn he's been uh, outstanding um but there've been another other a number of other uh players that have, have stood up on a number of occasions and, and everybody like you mentioned has has certainly put their hand up so um for us it's really trying to play together as a team and and focus on that i suppose when you go through uh the round robin or pool play um you know we had three teams on the same points and it, and it came down to run rate and and there's some really fine margins in that and um you know, we know how strong they are. Obviously, the, it's only a year ago that they, they won this tournament. So, um, you know, I think the fickle nature of it, um, the fact that you go out, um, you have to play with freedom and, and there are match winners in all teams means that it's it's a very difficult tournament to read. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they largely played good cricket and, and naturally every team's lost the game. I think throughout the whole tournament, there's not been one team that's, that's sort of steamrolled an event. It's just been... Um, really competitive cricket and that's I think just been the nature of, of the tournament. Yeah, for me it's focusing on the uh, the role um, and you know we've seen throughout this tournament the the variety of conditions and naturally you factor in the, the different opposition and the different strengths that they have so um, yeah it's really trying to do your bit for the team and, and try and make a, as as big contribution as you can um, gear that towards where we need to be as a side and, and that's the focus and that's I think the focus for for all the guys so it's you know very much a, a team focus for us um that ball in the field and um yeah we're going to try and continue that uh, and try and carry that through. There it is New Zealand cricket captain Kane Williamson will have ball by ball coverage from 8.30 tomorrow night here on SENZ it is coming up to six minutes away from seven. 
Yes, welcome into Extra Time with you through to 10 o'clock tonight. Mark Watson alongside of me, Ben Francis. Around about 7.30 tonight, we'll catch up with one of the best pool players in the world. Yes, Q Sports, Marco Teuscher, the Dutch master, the gunslinger from Eindhoven, will talk to us about him representing New Zealand, no longer the Netherlands, but will represent New Zealand at the upcoming World Championships and a very good group of young pool players heading to Puerto Rico. We will talk Australian rugby with Peter Mears after 8 o'clock. What is the feeling in Australia regarding the Wallabies, particularly off the back of that very good performance against the French? I'm not sure that anybody felt that Australia at any point would beat France, yet they came within a point. We will talk the Australian Baseball League after 9 o'clock with... Sam Brief. Sam is the American is an American sports commentator who is going to be calling the games for the Brisbane franchise, the Brisbane Bandits. The Auckland Tuatara will play the Brisbane Bandits on Thursday night to open the 2022-2023 Australian Baseball League. Telephone number if you want to phone the program, is 0800 150 Big weekend of sport coming up. I want to address an article in on News Hub, which, which I think is just such a misrepresentation of the truth. One thing that has really, really bugged me with this Women's Rugby World Cup and a lot of women's sport at the moment is the politicisation of it. Everything's got a political angle. We can't just play the game. We've got to constantly remind everybody how oppressed women have been over the last 200 years. and the desperate need for parity. I think the numbers reported at games, the interest in the games, have been oversold. We've also been told by a left-wing media and a left-wing ideology that we must watch, we have to watch women's sport and women's rugby. And if we don't, then somehow we're chauvinists And how dare you not watch this? And for those reasons, I haven't watched it because I don't like being told what to watch. What I've always said is let the game just grow organically because it is a really good product. And I think on Saturday night we saw that, one of the best games of sport all year, Black Ferns up against the French. I thought the commentary from Ricky Ricky Swinnell was superb. Edgier seat stuff. Great advertisement for the game. It doesn't need all the politicking around it. It doesn't need all that other narrative. It's games like that which will carry the sport. That will plant itself in our memories, hopefully inspire the next generation of young girls coming through to want to play rugby. But another example of this 
politicising of women's rugby, which is laughable. And the headline says, Black Ferns close gap on All Blacks as women's rugby fever sweeps New Zealand. Has it swept New Zealand? You drive around Auckland and you wouldn't even know there's a Women's Rugby World Cup on. You seriously wouldn't know there's one on. There's no signage. There's no central party zone. And really up until Saturday night, I think there was a an interest in it, but certainly not a mania like they'll have you make out. I just want to read you some parts of this article. The Auckland University research shows the gap in interest in the men's and women's game is now less than 10%. And with the World Cup final on Saturday night, interest in the Black Ferns can only go in one direction. Last weekend, the crowded Eden Park and much of the country were on their feet and backing black as the Ferns edged France 25-24 in their semi-final. According to an ongoing Auckland University study, the women's spirit and style of play is what's capturing Kiwi hearts. I'd love to know who they're talking to. Who actually conducted this study? What parameters they were given? The article goes on to say, people are calling it exciting, said Auckland University professor Tony Bruce. They love the passion of the players. They feel the women are playing for the love of the game. There's a quote here from Black Ferns midfielder Teresa Fitzpatrick that says, We pride ourselves on having fun and enjoying ourselves and by fully expressing ourselves on the field. We hope to inspire others. Now this is the bit which is just absolute and utter BS. The research which looks at the importance of women's rugby world cups to New Zealanders shows although survey respondents assumed a lower level of natural interest in the women's rugby world cup compared to the men's the difference is now less than 10% but the preliminary results also show the personal importance of the Black Ferns winning on Saturday is higher than for the 2011 All Blacks in their final on home soil against the French what an absolute and utter load of rubbish If the Black Ferns lose on Saturday night, does a nation mourn? Do the talkback lines go hot asking for the head of Wayne Smith, Graham Henry and those involved with this Black Ferns team? Are people going to be out in downtown Auckland from the Sky Tower down to the waterfront, shutting streets down, dancing like they did in 2011? Is the result possibly going to have an outcome on the government and the election? What nonsense. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I am sick and tired of this left-wing media selling us propaganda and everybody too scared to challenge the facts. The Women's Rugby World Cup is great. Women's rugby is great, but it is not at the same standard and level of importance as the All Blacks. And this World Cup final and the significance and the outcome of it is not greater than the All Blacks in 2011. Stop the nonsense. Stop the nonsense. You're just turning a lot of people off. I was talking with a colleague of mine today, well-known in broadcasting. Saturday, 
when the black ferns got up over France was the equivalent of when the All Blacks beat Italy at Eden Park in 1987. This World Cup thing came along. No one really knew much about it. Suddenly John Kerwin goes from one end of the Sandringham Road end, scores underneath the posts in one of the great tries, and suddenly the World Cup introduced itself, and no one's ever looked back. Hopefully the result of the Black Ferns against France has done a similar thing. But please just let it organically grow. How many people can really go back and remember 2011? It's a bit like these people that five years ago would have said, you know, Kieran Reid's played 100 tests at number eight. He's in the forefront of everybody's minds. And everyone says, oh, yeah, no, Kieran Reid, no, he's in the greatest all-black 15 of all time. And then you go, well, hang on a minute. What about Buck Shelford? What about Zinzan Brock? What about Murray Mixted? What about Sir Brian Lahore? And then you scratch your head and you go, oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot about those guys. Why do we continue to have to have this politicised? Why do we have to continue to oversell it? Why do we have to create this false economy? Why can't we just enjoy it for what it is? What is with this desperate need to somehow get parity? Why do we constantly need to drive this narrative that the only relationship between men and women has always been one of dominance? It's always been one of oppression. It's ruining the game. Seriously, folks, does anyone out there honestly believe this Women's World Cup final this week means more to New Zealanders than the All Blacks beating France in 2011? 0800 150811. And this is not about being anti-women's sport. It's anything but. Just let this thing grow. It's a great product. We saw that on Saturday. Don't inflate it, because the problem is what you're actually doing is you've inflated this massive balloon that is going to pop. And what's going to happen next year? How many people are going to turn up and watch the Black Ferns? No one turned up to watch the Farrah Palmer Cup. No one turned up to watch the women's super rugby sides. No one really turned up to watch the Black Ferns this year when they did play. You're telling us how big this is. Are we going to see that momentum next year? And are you doing the game a disservice by providing a false hope? 0800 And you know the thing that does my head into about the media getting this virtue signalling, getting caught up in this Social engineering, which has been led by this current government, it's appalling. Forget infrastructure, let's just have a whole lot of social engineering. And don't get me wrong, I've voted across every political party in my time. We've actually had world-class women sports people for a long time that you, media, have never given any coverage to. Erin Baker. Valerie Adams outside of the Olympics. Barbara Kendall, there's a world-class runner, Kimberly Smith, who ran at a number of Olympic Games, who holds pretty much every distance record in this country. Kimberly who? You look at our other triathletes. You look at what we've done in cycling overseas. But we've never heard of any of these women. Why? 
Because it's not rugby. Because it doesn't commercially in your head's right for you, so you give it no coverage. So one minute you stand up, virtue signalling, talking about equality, talking about a level playing field, but you pick and choose too. I'd imagine there are a lot of female athletes in this country, from individual sports and from other sports, who are just sitting there going, how come it's bloody the women's rugby team they're getting all the coverage? What about us? We've been on the world stage and competing in sports that are far more global for years and got no coverage from you virtue signalling media. 0800 150811. Love to get your thoughts. Somebody texting in. Love to have you back on the airwaves. What, I agree 100%. Can you get Alice Soper on and tell her that? I just hate these media companies that take people's opinions and then report it as news, as fact. Do some damn journalism. Get rid of your political agenda you're not actually helping rugby. You're actually setting it up for failure. You're actually turning a lot of people off. And you know what your reply will be? Oh, that guy's a chauvinist. No, I'm not. Anything but. I'm just sick of the BS. Sick of the politicising Of women's sport. I think a lot of the women are sick of the politicising of the sport. Just report on the facts. Report on the game. You don't need to have some underlying current associated with it. 0800-150811. Telephone numbers 0800-150811. News Hub. Does anyone honestly believe their article that this weekend's Women's Rugby World Cup has more meaning and means more to more New Zealanders across the board than the 2011 Rugby World Cup staged here? I mean, some of the other facts that are coming out talking about how Television 3's ratings were higher than bigger viewing audience than that of the last All Black Bledisloe Cup game question is how do they know that Sky never released their figures, never released their data plus Sky, how do you measure the true audience when most people or a lot of people watch those particular games in pubs and clubs and you can't get a true number in regards to how many people are actually watching a particular game. Like I said great game of rugby on Saturday, great advertisement for women's rugby, stunning call from Ricky Swinell but just leave it at that. Don't manufacture it. Ken's text and he says, your problem is with neoliberalism and capitalism. You're right that nothing is presented unless money is involved. Well, that's it. You know, you get television one, a lot of virtue signalling, very uh, woke uh, with the way they do things these days. Uh, very much a quota system across the board when it comes to um, talent and presenters, etc. Yet, how come it is that they'll have wall-to-wall coverage of the Olympic Games on television one from basically 9am till midnight, yet when it comes to the Paralympic Games, they put it on Duke? Oh, because it doesn't make any money. Because maybe the interest's not in it. But hang on a minute. That's not your ideology most of the time, though. Your virtual signalling believe us that that's not irrelevant, that it's just about equality. 
0800-150811. Jump on the phone. Keen to get your thoughts on this one. I'm going to be watching that Women's World Cup final. I'll probably be on the edge of my seat. I'm hoping that we will get the job done against England. I'm not sure we will, but I'm hoping we will. I'll be pretty damn proud about it. I'll be pretty damn happy about it. If we lose to England, I'll be disappointed, but I won't feel like my soul's been ripped out. I won't feel embarrassed. I won't feel angry. I won't be on a phone the next day asking for the head of Wayne Smith. Or I'll certainly be doing that if Ian Foster loses the Rugby World Cup. I certainly was doing that when Steve Hansen lost the 2019 semi-final to England. You can't manufacture in 20 years what another team's manufactured or built over 130 or 140 years. You know, the standard of journalism in this country is getting worse. Opinion is now news. Press releases are just turned into stories and therefore those sending the press releases out are controlling the narrative. I've always said this, that government and the media should be two separate things. There now seems to be a real crossover. Judiciary and government should be two separate things. I sense at times government starting to encroach on that. We are looking at bringing in hate speech laws. So we're now going to start controlling people's language. What defines hate speech? Who defines what hate speech is? Is white privilege hate speech? Because I find it, I find that disgusting. Anytime you group, uh, group, put a, a group of people in a group based on race, it's racism. Unless you believe the only people that are racist are European and therefore it's okay. Who defines what hate speech is? Now we've been told you must watch this Women's Rugby World Cup and you must watch this Cricket's Women's World Cup and it's as good as the men's and how dare you if you think it's not. But yet, it's okay if we don't watch the men's netball. And the coverage of the Women's Rugby World Cup, why haven't you given the same coverage to so many other world-class female athletes over the 30 years that have established themselves, that have been doing great things? Belinda Cordwell in tennis. Erin Baker, the great triathlete. Kimberly Smith, the runner. If you don't know who Kimberly Smith is, it's the media's fault. See, the reason why the media have politicised women's rugby is they know how big rugby is in this country and they realise there's commercial gain in it. So it's for commercial reasons that suddenly they're jumping up and down. And virtue signalling. And right there's the hypocrisy. Because women in this country have been doing brilliantly in sport and other sports for a long, long time. This New Zealand women rugby team's not a change in the landscape. It's not the next step in women's rights. It's not an evolution. It's just it's the first one where the media can jump on the back of the rugby coattails, know how popular it is in this country, and know they're going to get a lot of hits. But the fact that they've chosen rugby ignored so many sports for so long just shows the lack 
of sincerity from any of these major media organisations. It is 25 minutes after 7. We'll take a break, come back. We're talking Q Sports. Marco Toysha, one of the best pool players in the world, on the programme next. 7.30, you're listening to SENZ. Just a text that's come in. Somebody saying, I'd say the 2011 Rugby World Cup meant more because we hadn't won it for years. But I must say, the women's game versus France was the best game of rugby I've watched over the last few years. Easily trumped any all-black game recently. I completely agree. Wonderful advertisement for the game. Hopefully that is the game that did solidify the Women's Rugby World Cup and helped solidify and maintain the momentum of the Black Ferns going forward. Only time will tell. Keep your texts coming here on double eight double three. New Zealand on Thursday are sending a group of Q sport players to the WPA Predator World 8-Ball Championships being staged in Puerto Rico. We've all played 8-Ball, we've all played pool somewhere around the country. Joining me now on the programme, and he will be representing New Zealand for the first time, previously has represented the Netherlands, is the world number 23 across 8-Ball, 9-Ball and 10-Ball. These days based in Hamilton, Marco Toysha. Evening to you, Marco, welcome. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about these World Championships. How often are they staged? Uh, the World Championships is, um, the A-Ball is once a year. Uh, there's like three World Championships a year. So there's like the A-Ball, uh, you have the 9-Ball and the 10-Ball. So uh, the one that we play in Puerto Rico will be the, the World A-Ball. And how many countries are represented normally, Marco, there or thereabouts? I would say pretty much like every country has like at least like one player pretty much that I know of. And, and what's the format? How does the format work? Um, I think you're playing a, a, a double um, elimination uh, format uh, till the knockout stage. So I would I would think it uh, will be till the last 64 and then it's a straight knockout usually. Mm. And generally, when you get to the last sixty-four, how many frames do you play? What is it, what is it the best of? Um, I haven't checked the races uh, in the A ball because it's been it's been uh, it's been many years ago that, the, that they have uh, a world A ball championships. Uh, the last couple of years, I, w- I would say the last years, it's been only the the, the ten ball and the nine ball. Um, but yeah, this one uh, there will be the A ball. So I I would say like a race to eight, a race to nine. Uh, frames. Yeah, so eight or nine frames. If you win the nine frames, you progress in the early rounds. If you do lose, you do get a second life. Let's talk about this. Yeah. some of the New Zealand players because I've been lucky enough to witness some very good young talent coming through. Sheridan Burmester and Kieran Dempsey. Uh, how do you rate these two young players? Yeah, they're yeah, they're they're really talented players. Um, yeah, like Sheridan, he's been uh, he's been doing really well. He's been putting a lot of time in the last couple of years. Uh, he recently won the the, the New Zealand A Ball Championship, so in the for the men's, so that's a, that's a really good result. Uh, then you have uh, Kier, uh, uh, Kieran Dempsey, is like a really young talent, like really good fundamentals and a really strong player in New Zealand. And of course, you have Alex Sandras. Um, yes, he's one of the top um, female players in New Zealand um, in the juniors category. Um, so and they're playing the world. Junior nine ball championship, so they don't play an A ball. 
Yeah, no, I've watched a lot of Alex Andres and a real talent, as is Kieran Dempsey, as is Sheridan Burmester. Um, how much yeah. of it, and I know having spoken to both those guys, you know, they'll talk to you about how much of it is mental, how much of it it's just having that top two inches. Um, and, you know, uh, sometimes they lose games on some pretty simple shots. How much of that comes down to experience? Um, I would, yeah, I would say probably 80%. Um yeah, especially in the high level, it's just really hard to uh, to deal with a small mistake. Uh, especially the level is real high, so you just you're talking about like maybe like one or two mistakes in a match that sometimes can cost you the the the, the match, you know. So uh, when you make that mistake early in the match, it's you know it's sometimes hard to hard to deal with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've uh, been playing for many years, and uh, you know you you start to understand yourself a bit better, so you know how to deal with it, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Marco, in terms of the best players in the world, I mean, when we think of eight ball and nine ball, we think of movies like The Color of Money, the Paul Newman movie years ago, The Hustler, and so therefore, yeah. and we tend to associate pool tables with American bars, and therefore, we probably believe that the Americans may be the best at pool. Is that the case? What countries these days have the best players? Um, no, I wouldn't say just Americans. I think I think it's majority of the the Europeans that are doing really well the last couple of years. Uh, you, of course, you have the Asians; they're really good. Um, but I would say I would say with the eight ball, it's a bit hard to say because it's 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 mainly about the break. Um, the break is like the, the the spread of the balls is the main the the most important thing on the high level because uh, yeah, like the level, the skill level is like pretty much all the same when it comes to the the top thirty two. Um, players in the in the world in the world mm. championships yeah i mean we've all on the table we've all had a break whether it be across eight ball or whether it be across the nine ball or ten ball format how much practice can you put into that and how much can you control um the break in terms of the distribution of the balls on the table yeah i mean the control of the break is uh yeah, it's like it's the most important thing. I mean, you still try to control the cue ball. Uh, you try to get a good spread. But I think it's it's mainly the, the hardest thing about the break is the timing. So the timing is like a it's a real sensitive uh, thing to practice. And it's just really hard to really um, maintain and just keep continue doing the same thing. So it's like because there's so much power into the break. And it's just not it's not just power, but it's also the timing how you hit the ball so you can still hit them like straight and like real clean but it's just uh, yeah the way how you how you push through the cue ball uh, on the break has a big uh, impact on how the ball is running and uh, of course this is still a luck factor uh, you still need a little bit of luck um, but yeah the timing is, is probably the most important thing on the break I want to talk about another young New Zealander who's been overseas applying his trade and has some pretty good results recently and I know you've done a lot of work with him and He's starting to, starting to, only just maybe just a little bit, Marco, but not really starting to challenge you a little bit. His name's Sullivan Clark. How do you rate him, and what's he been doing overseas? Yeah, he's been um, he's been the most talented uh, player in New Zealand for the for the last couple of years. Um, he has, he's just the reason why he's so good. He's real dedicated. Uh, he's hungry. Um, can really commit to the game. Um, yeah, he's really. Um, yeah, he really think me about myself when I was start playing pool. So he's really just he's just 110 percent for the game, and uh, I think I think that's all you need pretty much. So uh, yeah, but I would say you know after me he's probably the best player in New Zealand. 
but it's just I think it's just about the commitment that he makes. Uh, just real disciplined, uh, loves the game, uh, put a lot of time in it. He travels a lot, so uh, yeah, now he's a great player, and uh, I'm quite lucky to have him here in New Zealand because uh, you know he challenged me a lot right now the last couple of years, and uh, yeah, that keeps me really motivated and uh, that keeps me really pushing my practicing more. To, uh, to be on top of it. So, uh, no, it's, it's great to have him in New Zealand. Yeah, sure. Marco, you found your feet here in New Zealand a little bit. You spent last sort of 18 years playing the game around the world and playing every small event. You've had some pretty big wins, having won the US 10 Ball Championship back in 2019, one of the great results. Um, yeah. And then you landed here in New Zealand. You've been employed by Massey, um, the biggest Q Sport club in the country with 20,000 members. Uh, they've been very good to you in terms of supporting you and helping you. You've returned the favour by doing a lot of coaching and um, doing a lot of work around the Q Sports, which has now led you to represent New Zealand at these World Championships. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, uh, all the greatest are going to Messi 100%. I mean, uh, what Messi does for the Q Sports is, uh, yeah, it's just insane. I mean, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been working for Messi for the last three years right now, I would say three years, three and a bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah for me, it's the right place, and uh, and and uh, yeah, it's like I can't I can't explain how happy I'm to be uh, be part of Messi and work for Messi. I mean, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, um, they, yeah, to do everything. I mean, they do spending so much time and, uh, and money uh, in the juniors. So yeah, we're really lucky to have Messi in Zina. Yeah, and what about your own form heading into these World Championships? I mean, these days, as I said, you you, you do work. Yes, you work in Q Sports, but it does mean that it's not just about you and your training anymore. Are, are you happy with the, the form you're in, with the work you've been putting on on the table? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm quite happy. I would say there's still there's still little things that I would like to work on. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit harder when you work full-time and, uh, and, and practice like uh, try to get a practice in like three hours a day. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's quite challenging, especially when you work full-time. But, um, yeah, I think with all the support I get from the club, uh, it's, it's, it's possible. Um, but yeah, now what I said, I've been I've been playing pretty well the last uh, the last couple of months, and I've been putting a lot of time in, especially uh, especially after the bad mm-hmm. result in the in the US uh, US Open last month. So that really that really pushed me to practice a bit harder. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, now I feel, I, feel, I feel confident. I'm uh, I'm quite excited, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So. Yeah, Marco. What's the um, difference? I mean, what in terms of having to shift your mindset? What Technically, tactically, what is it about eight ball versus say nine ball and ten ball? Clearly, nine ball you got nine balls on the table, ten ball, ten balls on the table. Clearly, um, when we play eight ball, it's actually fifteen balls. We've all played it: solids versus stripes, or unders versus overs. Um, how different are the games in terms of the way you need to approach it? I would say in a in a lot of um, yeah, I would say nine of nine ball and ten balls is a bit easier when it comes to uh, making up your mind um it, with a ball you have a bit more options but you play a little bit more as a tactical uh game i would say um but yeah under the shot clock usually under in the in the higher higher uh part of the tournament so when you got to the last 64 last 32 they they usually put a shot clock on so that really force you to think fast, and especially with like difficult situations mm. and a lot of options on the table, uh, it can be quite challenging. So, 
I would say I would say a ball is easier um, when it comes to running a wreck, but when it comes to making decisions and when the pressure is on and when you have like some difficult situations on the wreck, it's, it's yeah, it's a bit uh, it's a bit more hard harder, I would say. Mm, yeah. it's, 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 I mean, not, like the rotation games, like nine ball and ten ball, really force you. You know, it's like you just go from the one to the two, so there's no other option. But with uh, with a ball, there's like a lot of different options to actually finish the wreck. Take the wrong one, you 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 get stuck somewhere in the game. Mm. So, um, w- 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 which form of the game do you have to have a better safety game in terms of looking to snooker your opponent if, in fact, you can't play a particular shot? It, it yeah. is, is safety more prevalent in the eight ball or in the other shorter forms? No, nah, nah, it's hundred percent in the rotation game. So in the nine ball and ten ball, you play more safe than uh, than in eight ball. Eight ball, I would say, like majority of the of the game is like. It's like pretty much like clearing. So I would say like eighty percent of the of the of the games that we played will be like a break and run after after the break, or it's the, if there's no ball going in, usually it will be finished, or the or the play that breaks, they usually finish. So it's like yeah, what I said is eighty percent of the of the of the break will be finished after the break will be finished. So it's like there's not much defending uh, here and there. You get maybe one game that you one or two games that you get a couple mm-hmm. of like. Tricky situations on the on the table, but majority of the of the high level pool in a ball is like it's just like a break and run pretty much. And people might not be familiar with this, but you guys all carry three cues. You have a cue purely for breaking. You have a cue for general play, and then you also have a cue for jumping. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I said, you know, with a ball because you don't have that much uh, safety that you play, so you don't use your jump cue as much. Um, it's mainly when you just snooker yourself or, um, yeah, or like your opponent snooker. But, yeah, you don't use your j- j- uh, jump cue as much. Uh, we have the break cue. I mean, the break cue is probably the most important cue when you when you play a ball. It's like, uh, yeah, getting a good spread, getting a good quality cue that uh, that gives you the best uh, the best spread of the balls. So, uh, yeah, and all the cues these days have been made from carbon fiber. And uh, yeah, they're quite the, the quality of those keys are really good. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sponsored by Predator. They're, they're doing a really good, uh, good thing with getting the best products out there. So uh, yeah, I'm quite lucky to uh, to use the best equipment out there. Predator quite prevalent here in New Zealand, quite a big brand, and seems to be the brand of choice these days for a lot of our top players. Really do understand what's required. Yeah, yeah, they're sponsored. Like I would say, like. Uh, Seventy percent of the of the of the pro players in American pool. Um, so yeah, they're really like they're really up there. Uh, mm. not, yeah, pretty much all the top players are using it. So the quality is good. Um, they're really looking at the players, what what they need to get the quality better. So uh, now they've been out there for like a long time, and uh, yeah, I've been playing my whole life with Predator, and it's, it's been great. So, yeah. Well, Marco Toysha, good luck with the upcoming eight ball world championships and good luck to Sheridan Burmester, Kieran Dempsey, Alex Andre, Sullivan Clark, and the others competing in Puerto Rico. We look forward to following you, uh, following your progress. Thank you so much, Mark. Appreciate it. There you go, Marco Toysha, number 23 in the world across the three major forms these days of Q Sports. That is. Nine ball is probably the big one. Nine balls on the table in diamond formation. Sink the balls one through nine. Whoever sinks the nine wins the game. There's a little bit more to it than that. Ten ball is just 
an extra ball added to the table, same format. And then eight ball, the traditional eight ball, they do have some very cool rules that we probably don't all play at home or haven't played on those sort of warp tables at a motel or camping ground over summer. But it is a big, big sport. Massey Club, true story, 20,000 members. I'm trying to think of a sports organisation that's got more members. And surprisingly, Watto, it sounds like it's going to get even bigger now. Yeah, there's big news story today that Massey and what the New Zealand Pool Association are combining forces. Yeah, that's right. They just announced it um, at the top of the hour at 7 o'clock, uh, effective immediately, and both organisations will now work together to advance the game of uh, pool in New Zealand and they'll work with the members and how they can and grow that. So it's going to get even bigger. Well, just to give people an idea, Dino Kane, one of the big names in this country in snooker, made the quarterfinals at the Crucible in 87 and 1992. He's um, been heavily involved in the establishment of the progress of Q Sports. They realised that snooker in this country is probably on the decline and the American and Asian forms of the game, 8-ball, 9-ball and 10-ball, are very much the way forward. Um, we have also seen um, the guys in the UK, Matchroom, yep. uh, Eddie Hearn, heavily involved in boxing. They also own the darts and also own the snooker. They've now taken control of nine ball. So it just gives you an idea of the pathway and potentially where the sport could go. So we do wish that New Zealand team all the best. It is 13 and a half minutes away from eight. Nine minutes away from eight o'clock, music courtesy of Ben Francis. What was the song, Ben? The Master Plan by Oasis. Oh, I knew it was Oasis. I just wasn't sure what the song was, yeah. Some bands just have such a distinct sound, don't they? Oh, yeah, and uh, probably one of their favourite songs for Oasis, although uh, this might make you sound old, or you might feel old, sorry, my apologies. Uh, Don't Look Back in Anger was actually released on the day I was born. Oh, look, mate, it's amazing. I go back to albums like Pearl Jam 10... Um, you know, you look at Use Your Illusions 1 and 2, Guns and Roses, they're 30 years old. Um, it's unbelievable how quickly time goes, and yet those songs and those music only feel like they were released yesterday. And yet, the nice thing about music is that, particularly classic rock and stuff, it just doesn't age. Yeah, and it, it just uh, doesn't age. And I find it quite funny when you hear lots of... Uh, I mean, I listen to Credence Clearwater, and I just think it's just some of the most stunning music. Yeah, I picked my sister. My sister had her last day of school a few days ago because she's got exams now, big, big, you know, year eleven. And uh, I said, "Oh, how, how's your guitar lessons going?" She said, "Yeah, I've been learning <laughs> CCR." And I was John like, "Foggy, wonderful!" I had to turn around and go, "Like, what? Are you serious?" Yeah, but I mean, it was real back then. Oh no, that's the absolutely thing. real but, back then. But what I was going to get at is lots of this music. And you say, you talk about it being timeless, and it gets quite frustrating when you hear uh, people go like, oh, musician, current musician, you know, they're, they're legendary. And it's like, well, no one's going to be talking about them in 10 years because no. the music's just terrible. It's, it hasn't aged like this has. No, look, there's a few bands. I mean, I've just booked my tickets to Guns N' Roses in Wellington, actually. Um, I've got mates down there, so I thought I'd fly down. It cost me a bloody bomb for the airfare. Unbelievable. But, you know, stuff that really my first big band, I got into music quite late in 1987, 88, and... They've stuck with me, accompanied me on some very long bike rides back in the day and been a big part of my life. But they're one of the truly great bands, iconic. I mean, you just look at the playlist, you look at the hits, you look at the songs, but written by these guys, written by a group of kids who basically grew up in the street and formed a band, the genius. I mean, you listen to the melody and stuff and stuff like November Rain, you've got orchestras now playing it. It's just a lovely piece of music. And you think, man, you know, no formal musical education, 
just a group of guys who drew inspiration from life on the street and from life itself. You know, and you've got the Rolling Stones, you've got those big bands, but there are just some bands that you just, yeah, will come and go and... I'm not sure we'll have that longevity. There'll always be that one song they produce, which will get played a lot, but they're not going to go down in rock and roll history, are they, for having um, changed the landscape or for having inspired a next generation? I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame might run out of inductees soon. Mm. I mean, you know, you talk any major sort of so-called heavy rock band, they'll all go back to Led Zeppelin. The Godfathers, they'll all go back to Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin will go straight back to the blues and say it was the blues. Rolling Stones will go straight back to the blues. You know, and who are the blues? Well, they're all African-American and yet a group of musicians who at the peak of their powers were marginalised in a, in a very, um, yeah, in a, in a almost an apartheid-type way back in the United States. Pure genius. Very powerful thing, music. That's why I don't actually mind sometimes the things like the American Idols. and It's just an audition. I, I know it's got a bit cheesy and tacky, but if you've got some musical ability, let's be honest, some of the best musicians have probably never been discovered. Give these guys an opportunity. Give them a chance to go and see what they can do and see if they... I mean, look at Adam Lambert. Would yeah. Queen have had a revival without that guy? And well, that guy can sing, man. Yeah, well, what, what what do you think about like New Zealand editions of things? Oh, Cause, no, cause I know the New Zealand ones never they never have kicked off. No, they've never kicked off. But we we just don't have a big enough population. We just don't have, um, we just don't have scale here, you know. And that's when it does start to get a bit tacky when the stuff just gets franchised, you know. I'd rather just have a world audition and you know and have it for a little bit longer. But oh look. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're talented in this country with a small population, you've got a good band, you should be, you should stand out, you know, you should stand out in this country. Um, sometimes it's easy to stand out amongst a smaller population. Mm, exactly. Mm. All right, coming up after um, 8 o'clock, we will talk rugby out of Australia with Peter Mears, get his thoughts on the Wallabies' performance against the French. Uh, got over Scotland the week earlier. Um, what lessons did they learn in that? flogging by the All Blacks in that second Bledisloe Cup match I saw an interesting team that they that some pundits put together for this potential Anzac team in 2025, it was amazing how many Australians were in the side, I didn't realise they were that good It is one minute after eight Mark Watson with you here on the programme Bright Lights, Gary Clark Jr I am told Ben did you use an app to get I that? I did. On that occasion, I did. I Again, you've played this before. That's correct. I was familiar with it, but you do a good job at introducing me to new music. Uh, anyway, 0800 150 811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. Um, just a couple of points and themes I guess for the night and we just did it last night a bit didn't get a lot of response but possibly a different audience tonight uh, if you could win one of the major sporting events going on at the moment the Rugby League World Cup for the men the T20 Cricket World Cup for the Black Caps or the Women's Rugby World Cup which one would you prefer to win if you could win only one wouldn't be a remarkable year if we won all three we could end up losing all three the reality is we're only in one final, aren't we? And that is the Black Ferns. Saturday night, Eden Park. It is a sellout, 40,000 people, which is great. 
And it should be too, because it was really a very, very good game of rugby on Saturday night. It's what the tournament needed. It's what women's rugby needed. After nine o'clock, we will talk some baseball. We have the Australian Baseball League starting on Thursday. The Auckland Tuatara travel to Brisbane, take on the Brisbane Bandits in four games, and then they move to Canberra, and then they come home for a home series. It's a high standard of baseball. All the clubs have affiliations with the major league teams in the United States, and those major league teams provide players for each of the Australian franchises for a whole lot of different reasons. Throw in the local talent, and it is, at very least, a real novelty for sports fans. North Harbour will be hosting the Auckland Tuatara with those first home games in a couple of weeks' time. It's a very good roster for the Auckland Tuatara. A lot of former major league players in it, a lot of emerging stars and some good local talent as well. So we'll put the spotlight and focus a little bit on baseball after nine o'clock. We're going to chat with Peter Mears out of Australia in one moment, veteran Australian broadcaster. Want to get his thoughts on the Wallabies getting beaten by the Australians 30 points, sorry, France beating Australia by 30 points to 29 I think most people felt that France would win that one and win it comfortably. Which brings up another question. Who is the number one rugby side in the world at the moment? A lot of people will say Ireland, and deservedly so, but I think France, for the fact they've won 11 straight, are Six Nations champions. Probably have their nose in front but this might just be the closest Rugby World Cup in years. Argentina beating England. I don't think they're good enough to win a Rugby World Cup final, but I think they're good enough to create some major, major upsets and certainly get through to a semi-final, possibly get through to a final. It's taken a long time for Argentina to get to the dizzy heights they've reached, but they're there. I remember when they sort of first really started getting into national rugby in the 1980s. I remember the All Blacks drawing with them in 1984, was it? Was it 24 all? Hugo Porter kicking all the points. It might have been 21 all. Hugo Porter, the great Argentinian first five, kicking all the points. I remember them touring Australia in the 80s and David Campisi just ripping them to pieces, destroying them. And they used to be you know, bunnies, to be honest. You played Argentina, you're expected to win by 40 or 50 points. That is not the case anymore. Michael Checker doing great things. Oh, 800 150 is the number. Thomas is texting. He said, give me the Cricket World Cup. Those poor buggers deserve a white ball cup. Very consistent with not much to show. Yeah, uh, look, there's a lot of people that do want to see... I mean, let's be honest, the Black Caps actually have never really won much, have they? I mean, I think their greatest achievement was beating Australia in Australia in 1985. I think beating England in England in 1999, was it, in a test series? 
the odd victory over Australia over the years has been big at a test, at test match level. We won what, the Champions Trophy, I think, in Kenya back in 2003, a one-day format. But they have, to be perfectly honest, been the great underachievers of New Zealand sport. And we've come very close, but we still haven't won it. And I think you can say, well, we won the Test Championship, but, yeah, I think that was a little construed because of the fact that some key games were cancelled due to COVID. And I think we sort of were always going to beat India in England in June. And I think also the thing with the Test Cricket World Cup is because it's in its infancy, perhaps it hasn't quite established itself to the same degree as other World Cups and other sports. Yet the one-day Cricket World Cup, I still think people see as being the legitimate Cricket World Cup. But you'd take a T20 World Cup, wouldn't you? But Australia won the last T20 Cricket World Cup. Does anyone remember who won the two prior to that? So West Indies, my point being. It comes and goes very quickly. And then there will be another T20 Cricket World Cup in about 18 months' time. I'd like to see us win the Rugby League World Cup. If I could pick one, it would be the Rugby League World Cup. Just because you have to beat Australia to do it and they place such emphasis on it. Hi, Watto. In order of importance for me, for the World Cups, cricket, then league, then the women's rugby. Have watched most of the T20, even though it's my third favourite form of the game. Just got sparked to watch league quarterfinals. Haven't watched a second of the ladies' World Cup that comes from Hayden. I know a lot of people um, that have said they haven't watched any of the women's rugby World Cup. Rich has texted in and said, cricket World Cup all day. Great to hear you straight talking on the radio. Cheers, Rich. Yeah, it's interesting because um, if you hadn't heard me after 7 o'clock, if you just joined the show, I sort of went after an article on News Hub where some academic out of Auckland has done some study um, and somehow has me believe or should have us believe that the importance of this Saturday for the women beating England has more significance and more importance amongst New Zealanders than the All Blacks winning the 2011 Rugby World Cup. Never heard and read so much rubbish in all my life. And this is part of this politicising of women's rugby and women's sport, trying to make it out to be bigger than it actually is, rather than just accepting it for what it is, letting it organically grow and just celebrating the sport. The game on Saturday was remarkable. You don't need to put any more ribbons around it, any more tassels around it, create more of a false economy and then ultimately set it up for failure in the long term because the game going forward beyond the World Cup is not going to be able to live up to the hype that you've created or um, the false economy that you've built around it. Does anyone believe that? Does anyone honestly believe that this weekend's Women's World Cup means more to New Zealanders and has more significance and is more important and more interest than the All Blacks winning in 2011. See, part of the problem with these surveys is time moves very quickly and you forget how big events were 10 years ago. 
And the classic example is when you go and pick the greatest All Black 15. How often are players that are in the current All Black team end up in the greatest 15? What was that? I couldn't hear you, Ben. I, I deliberately didn't have my mic on, but I said definitely not this current team. No, definitely not this current <laughs> team. But you go back and you, people talking about Kieran Reid. Oh, Kieran Reid. Yeah, no, no, it would be, in, you know, not greatest 15, greatest eight that's ever played the game. And you go, hang on a minute. Zinzan Brook, Buck Shelford, really a better player than those two? And suddenly you've got to jolt people's memories and go, oh, no, perhaps you've got a point. 0800-150-811 is the number. We're just trying to get hold of Peter Mears out of Australia. For some reason, he is not answering his phone, but we will keep trying. Uh, keep your texts coming. Which one would you like to win? The Cricket World Cup, T20 Cricket World Cup, the Women's Rugby World Cup, or the Rugby League World Cup? If you could only choose one, which one would it be? Which one has greatest significance for you and why? Love to hear from you. Sorry, we've got something that's just phoning through. I'm not sure whether we're putting them to ear or not. That's why we just had that moment of silence as we will try and track down Peter Mears in Australia and get him up on the programme. Peter, one of the veteran broadcasters, one of the original commentators in Australia. But if you do have any thoughts, feel free. I, I keep saying this. I think talkback's a better experience when you jump on the phone. Tell me what you think. Does this Women's Rugby World Cup have more importance? I mean, it's absolute nonsense writing that sort of crap. If the Black Ferns lose, and I hope they don't, and I think we've got a genuine chance of upsetting England, and it will be an upset, but if they were to lose, is a nation going to mourn? Are we going to be calling for the head of Wayne Smith? Are the talkback lines going to be lit up and criticise the players and talking about which players should be dropped and how dare they have selected that player and it was nepotism that got them into the team. Are we going to do any of that? Of course we're not. Two reasons. Because it doesn't mean that much at the moment. But also people are just too damn scared to criticise women's sport. Thirteen minutes after eight. Probably need to take a break. Just got Ben on the phone at the moment. He controls the commercial breaks. Silence, it's not good on the radio. Like Marcel Marceau, the great French mime. Television, you can let it breathe. The pictures do the storytelling. Radio, you've got to keep talking. It's when you earn your money. It's when you've got no talkback callers. My intent was not so much to get talkback this hour. My intent was more to just try and get hold of Peter Mears. But we will take a break and then try and get hold of Peter. There's 19 minutes after eight. Let's celebrate all things Australian rugby. Shall we celebrate all things Australian rugby? How much is there to celebrate when it comes to the Wallabies these days? Well, veteran broadcaster, rugby commentator out of Australia, Peter Mears, joins us on the programme. G'day, Peter. Welcome. 
G'day, Mark. Thanks for having me again. God, you almost did the impossible, the unthinkable. You almost got up over France and almost ended their 10-game winning streak at international rugby level. However, you ended up losing 30 points to 29. What's been the general sort of consensus and feeling around that performance? Uh, mate, a loss by one point is as bad as a loss by 30 points, really. Everyone's very disappointed because we played so well for so much of the match and didn't expect to win, uh, you know, like the All Blacks, you always expect to win. We we don't expect to win because under Dave Rennie, we've had probably 35% wins in the last couple of years. And against the Six Nations champions, although we did beat them down under, but that was a very young experimental team they sent down last year to Australia, and we beat them 2-1 in that series. But uh, I don't think very many judges uh, would have thought that Australia could get that close. And... You know, we could have won it. It was just a bit of nerves and bad tackling in the last uh, four minutes when Damien Penneau made that beautiful run down the right wing and beat Jock Campbell and Tom Wright and went over for a terrific try. You've got to give them credit. They snatched a win out of uh, what looked like it was going to be defeat. Yeah, we Hurley. I mean, you managed to get the victory um, over Scotland, 16-15, another close one. Uh, just your comments regarding Dave Rennie there. I mean, it sounds to me like a lot of people are blaming Dave Rennie for the results. But, uh, I mean, let's be honest, you can't turn a donkey into a thoroughbred. It's not like he's got that much to work with by, you know, the traditional high standards Australian rugby once had. Yeah, but I mean, he's probably not doing any worse than Michael Checker was when he vacated the throne. Uh, look, I'm not. If I gave you that impression, I didn't really mean it's Dave Rennie's fault. Perhaps his selection policy could be part of the reason because he believes in rotation. And with a young, with players in key positions like the halves, for example, if you don't play them regularly, they don't have confidence and they lose their skills. Like Tate McDermott got on the field in the last match against Scotland for the first time in about five matches he hadn't played uh, for months. Uh, I mean, the Frenchmen had the same problem because they hadn't played for seven months. But um, you've got to sort of say, well, if you're going to look forward to the World Cup next year, you've got to have settled combinations, particularly in the halves, full-back wings, the front row, you know, those key positions. And um, he hasn't been doing it. He's paid the price for it, although the previous week against Scotland, we snatched a victory we shouldn't have had. When uh, Blair Kinghorn missed an easy penalty from right in front, and uh, we won by one point. It's an interesting one that rest and rotation because it's a real um, bugbearer of mine. I mean, you know, we've got up over Wales, um, we're playing Scotland this weekend, and yet there's talk now of, oh, you know, we'll probably rotate the team. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute, a year out from the World Cup, surely you want to dress rehearsal, because in a year's time, you're going to have to win a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a final, and you're going to want to do it with the same core group of your best 23 players. So surely you have a dress rehearsal now. And one of the criticisms I have with All Black Rugby is that we don't have settled combinations either. We don't know whether our core group of players are capable mentally of putting three good performances back-to-back -back in the space of two weeks. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, you've had some surprising losses in, in the last 12 months. Uh, I'm a big fan of all-black rugby. And I have great respect, uh, particularly as Australia has been beaten by them for so long. Um, but uh, I think it comes back to confidence, doesn't it? When you're confident of your position in the team, 
you play accordingly. You, you show your skill set. You don't think twice about what your option might be. You just go ahead and do it because you're used to it. And uh, that's not happening with our young ones, the French players, and it's probably not happening with the All Blacks who are trying to rotate uh, their players too. So, you know, it's it's a toss-up what the best policy is because if you play them all the time, you do risk them getting injured, and I suppose that might be what they're thinking is. Rennie's thinking, uh, he's said several times that it's a long tour, this autumn uh, Nation series that they're on at the moment. It's uh, playing every weekend for five weeks, and you guys are the same. So you've got to guard against injury. But um, as I say, we're not uh, in top form. We're trying to develop a team for the World Cup, and I don't think it's the way to go. Yeah, and that's the other argument too. Like I've been critical here that you know we're reducing rugby to once every four years now. We're making so much around the Rugby World Cup. The problem with that is I think it's been proven that. There's not a lot of methodology in it because players can get injured anyway. Um, I mean, we're in a slightly different position where the All Blacks are just not allowed to lose and we've got to be careful that we, we don't start accepting losses. But it's not good for international rugby if everything's a constant experiment in the name of one tournament every four years. Yeah, I agree. And, and we've got the other problem, which you guys also have, is that um, there's so much money and so much attraction of um, top 14 rugby or playing in England and the money's there so you lose your, your top players and they go over and sometimes they don't get picked for the All Blacks or for the Wallabies and you know we've got the situation with Samu Karevi our best back last year over and uh, playing in Japan and uh, Quade Cooper admittedly he's injured but he was he was away overseas for quite a long while um, you know, we saw the big fella who came on last week. Um, oh, what's his name? The, the giant uh, who played uh, against um, in the last match against France. I can't think of his name. He's been playing in France, but it's because I haven't seen him for so long. Are, are you talking? Uh, are you talking Skelton? Skelton, Will Skelton. That's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a good player, but he was flown out at the last minute. He probably still had jet lag when he went on the field at Parc de France. And, um, you know, we don't know. We just don't see him for so long. We're without his services for 90% of the time. And the ghetto law, as they call it, is so uh, restrictive that you've got to have played 60 internationals before you can get recalled from Europe to play for the Wallabies. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you take on Italy this week, Ireland the following week, and then Wales. Um, what are the expectations? Mm-hmm. You'd expect to beat Italy, wouldn't you? Never lost to Italy in 18 previous matches, but I watched uh, Italy-Samoa, and I was very impressed. I thought Italy played brilliantly. 28 mil at halftime. They won 49-17, scoring six tries to two. Uh, it was a consummate performance from the Italians. They've got a new style about their game. They're running the ball much more than they used to. They used to depend so much on 10-man rugby. But um, they won't be a pushover. I think Australia, having shown a bit of frailty in the last two internationals, will struggle to beat Italy at home in Padua. Can you take anything out of the fact that Ireland only just got up over South Africa and yet this year... Um, you know, the Wallabies did have parity with South Africa. Can you look forward to the Ireland game with any confidence? 
Yeah, I think we match up pretty well against Ireland. Uh, I watched that um, South Africa Ireland game, and I thought the referee was very kind to Ireland, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but um, it wasn't an easy win, that's for sure. It was very, very close. And Springboks could easily have won it. Uh, they're a formidable team. Their forwards are terrific. Um, but they're pretty easy to um, predict the way they play the game. Uh, and I think Australia had worked them out pretty well last year. It was a very good performance, whereas beating France wasn't such an outstanding performance because they sent a young new-look team out here. It wasn't their Six Nations champion team they sent out here. Uh, and the Springboks were pretty well at full strength. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we beat Ireland. It could happen. Uh, it certainly means a lot if we get uh, our top players back, like Taniela Tupou came back against France and he matched up with their massive forward pack really well. I think our pack held their own in the physicality stakes. Um, and if they settle on the halves, I think they've just got to make a decision. I think Nick White and Lola Sio, the young guy, are the ones that I would go for at this stage. I, I don't think Bernard Foley's got it at this stage of his career. Uh, he made mistakes, vital mistakes, that cost two tries in the last international. And he's, um, he's lost his pace. His goal kicking's reliable if he's in front, but he can't kick long range. Uh, and his defence is suspect. So I'd be going with Lollis. Go for youth is my feeling. Cost you the Bledisloe Cup too, didn't he? He did, yeah. <laughs> but that's a, bit, that's a bit harsh, to be fair. I think it was probably more the referee. Um, hey, look, um, Peter, just Hamish McLennan, the head of Australian rugby, he sort of came out and said he wants an Anzac side to take on the Lions in 2025. Um, how's this been received? Um, is there any sort of credibility in this, or is this just a bit of a pipe dream? Well, they did it, didn't they, some years 80, ago? 89, yeah, 1989. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I thought it was fascinating. I, I love seeing something like that. I don't know about you, but I'm a great fan of New Zealand rugby, and to see our guys running with them and playing with them uh, is a compliment to our blokes to even get picked, I reckon. Uh, I, I quite like an exhibition match like this, if you can call it that. Um, mind you, I think the All Blacks would probably have a better chance of beating the Lions than the combined team would. Uh, they're, they're mighty tough, than the Lions, as you saw last time they toured down under. But, um, yeah, I, I think all for it, provided it fits into the timetable and the schedule. It's interesting because, um, boy, and this rocks the Kiwis up, and this is part of the reason we don't have anything to do with it, I think, is I was just reading a, a possible Anzac 15 that Fox Sport have put together. They've got five Australian forwards in the forward pack, so Angus Bell, Billy Pollard, Danielle Tupo in the front row, Nick Frost uh, as one of the locks, and then you've got Tupu via uh, Kira Awani and Adi Sevilla. You've got Rob Valentini at eight. I mean, we, we just find that laughable. Uh, then you've got yeah. Samu Karevi. Um, Jordan Pattaya, um, Joseph Suaili, and uh, what's is it? Sorry, I can't pronounce. Joseph Suaili, he's a rugby league kid. Yeah, well, he's not even playing rugby union at the moment. Yeah, and you sort of sit there and you go, Samasoni Takiahau, who has just been an absolute superstar this for the All Blacks, coming on on hooker, uh, coming off the bench, the likes of Terrell Lomax. Will Jordan can't even make the starting fifteen, according to. Oh, you're kidding! Yeah, I, I mean, the best winger in the world at the it, moment. Well, I mean, this is it, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to pick a Turanzac fifteen, you don't like the British and Irish Lions. This is not a straight split down the middle, is it? This is based on merit. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that that's a joke. Billy Pollard hardly gets a run for the Australian team. Mm. He's just a kid mm. learning the the craft. There's mm. so many better hookers around than him. Mm. Um, oh, look, that's always good grist for the mill, isn't it? That sort of selecting teams that based on just what you feel. It's probably someone at Fox Sports who doesn't even follow rugby who picked that team. He's probably a leaguey. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, so, 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 look, a year out from the Rugby World Cup, well, what sort of the expectations on the Swallabies team? I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's a one-off type tournament. You don't have to be the best side going into it. You do need a little bit of luck. Sometimes you need the draw to fall your way a little bit. But, I mean, I think if Australia can beat Ireland and beat Wales, then, yeah, you certainly don't rule them out. I, I certainly don't write them off. Yeah, look, we have a funny habit of bobbing up at World Cups. We've won two, um, and in 2015, nobody thought we'd do any good, and we got to the final. Um, So, yeah, I I think Australia is improving, put it that way, and Dave Rennie's a very smart coach. Uh, He's developing young players and making... We've got a lot more depth than we used to have, Mark, so I think that's a good thing, particularly in the halves, like, who do you pick, McDermott? Jake Gordon or Nick White, they're all equally good in different ways. So the same with the fly half position. Um, look, if, you're pretty right. You know How Australia fares in the next couple of matches against Italy, Ireland and Wales will tell you a lot. Uh, and you know, Provided they settle on combinations and they keep developing and we don't get injuries because we haven't got as much depth as, say, the All Blacks have. Mm-hmm. What's the weather like over there today, Peter? Uh, it's fine and sunny with a little bit of wind, but gorgeous. Like every day? Yeah, like, yeah, on the Sunshine Coast, goes without saying, doesn't it? Oh, no, stunning, stunning part of the world. Hey, Peter, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. And talking to you, mate, I enjoy it every time. Cheers. Peter Mears out of Australia there talking all things Australian rugby. 0800-150-811 is the number. You cannot write the Australians off. You cannot write them off at a Rugby World Cup. You know, go back to 2019 and how bad was South Africa in the lead up to that World Cup. Ireland went in as almost pre-tournament favourites with the All Blacks and got tipped up and beaten by Japan, I think. Then you get England just putting on one of the great displays against the All Blacks only to get tipped up by South Africa in the final. Might just be the closest Rugby World Cup in a long time. Can't afford to underestimate Argentina anymore. I don't think New Zealand would have, in all seriousness, I think we still have the psychological edge over Argentina even though they have beaten us twice in a couple of years now but I think they're capable of doing us some favours along the way some sides will just get up for us and roll over to other teams and I think South Africa will always lift against New Zealand but can drop their bundle against lesser sides and historically Argentina have been one of those lesser sides no more. 0800 150 811 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. Just going back to some earlier points, uh, just as a little bit of a theme and wouldn't mind getting your thoughts. 
If you could win one of the major World Cups that's on at the moment, the T20 Cricket World Cup, live coverage by that, by ball, ball by ball coverage tomorrow here on SENZ uh, from 8.30. Or the Women's World Rugby Cup, take on England at Eden Park Saturday night. Or the Rugby League World Cup, which one would you like to win? Which one would provide a greater sense of nationalism? I think the Rugby League World Cup for me, because you've got we're going to have to beat Australia to win it. And we've only, you know, we've won it what in recent times, two thousand and eight. If we lose the Women's Rugby World Cup, there's a number of articles, or there's an article on News Hub saying that the importance of this World Cup is greater than that of two thousand eleven, and and that's how the public perceive it, which is absolute garbage and rubbish. Are we having the conversation on Sunday morning about sacking Wayne Smith? Are we going to criticise the selections? Are we going to rip the players apart for losing this? I'm just trying to get an understanding of your relationship, the rugby fan, with the women's game. How much does it mean? Does it stir the emotions to the same degree? Lines are open. Jump on the phones. 19 minutes away from 9 o'clock. Other news today is that Liverpool Football Club, my beloved club, have drawn hold as Real Madrid in the last 16 of the Champions League. It'll be a repeat of last season's final. Now, Real Madrid have won 14 times. They beat Liverpool 1-0 in Paris last year thanks to a goal from... Vinicius Jr. in the 59th minute. Premier League champions Manchester City face German side RB Leipzig, while Tottenham play Italian giants AC Milan. Chelsea also have German opposition in Borussia Dortmund. Elsewhere, French champions Paris Saint-Germain have drawn Bayern Munich. The last 16 leagues will take place on the 14th, 15th, 21st and 22nd of February with the second legs on the 7th and 8th and 14th and 15th of March. So just running through that draw one more time for you. It is RB Leipzig versus Manchester City. Club Rouge up against Benfica. Liverpool versus Real Madrid. AC Milan versus Spurs. Frankfurt versus Napoli. Borussia Dortmund versus Chelsea. Inter Milan versus Porto. And Paris Saint-Germain versus Bayern Munich. Uh, Frankfurt up against Napoli give Napoli a real chance there. I actually think Liverpool will beat Real Madrid. Not sure why, just feel they will. And I don't actually mind this in this stage of the competition. You just need to be match-hardened. Just need to be match-hardened. You've got to play these guys at some point. If you're good enough, you're good enough, aren't you? AC Milan, Spurs, boy, not an easy encounter, that one. Spurs at least have the benefit of the return leg at home, knowing what they need to do. Mind you, these days... Away goals don't mean anything. No longer double up on aggregate. Fascinating, fascinating competition. Uh, Coming up after 9 o'clock, we will talk baseball. We will talk the Auckland Tuatara, and we'll also talk the Brisbane Bandits. The Australian Baseball League kicks off on Thursday night. The Auckland Tuatara back in action after a two-year hiatus due to COVID. Just started to get some really good momentum in the 2019-2020 season, only for it to all be stifled. Let's just hope that they can capture, recapture the form, win more than they lose, get to the playoffs, win the Claxton Shield and hopefully 
build on their already existing fan base. Might be a minority sport in New Zealand, but it is certainly a big sport globally. Baseball, huge in Japan, huge in Korea, Taiwan, all throughout the South American, Latin American nations, and of course, the favourite pastime of the Americans. We've also got the Softball World Cup coming up too. I wonder how much coverage that will get. And if the men's Black Sox end up winning another world championship, do you think they will get the same recognition as, say, the Black Ferns? Will they be part of the Halberg discussion? What is it with certain sports? Why are they marginalised and yet other sports are celebrated? Where if you really break it down and look at the depth of competition, I'd argue that to win the Softball World Championships will be a lot harder than winning, say, the Women's Rugby World Cup and arguably winning the Rugby League World Cup for the men. It's also interesting, isn't it, that you look at how many rugby players over the years have got knighthoods associated with rugby. You know, Sir Steve Hansen, Sir Graham Henry. You go back and Sir Michael Jones. Um, Sir Buck Shelford. Sir Brian Lahore. How come Rugby League have never had anyone knighted? Sir Peter Leach indirectly, but more far. Now, what happened to Stephen Kearney? He coached the New Zealand Rugby League team to a World Cup in 2008. We jumped up and down when we won the Netball World Championship and our head coach was given a damehood for that. It's funny how political it is and how much of a popularity contest it becomes. You know, this is a government and a society that continue to shove down our throat, rightly or wrongly, about equality, about equity. And yet these very same people don't practice what they preach. What is it with the prejudice towards sports like league and softball in this country? Is it because historically they do come from the other side of the tracks? It's more blue collar versus white collar. What are your thoughts, Ben? I agree with that last statement you made. I think it's because they're, they're, you know, working class sports. They're sports that are generally played by a lower class or people from lower diversity backgrounds. But well, how does Dame Noling Taurua get a damehood for taking the Silver Ferns to win a World Cup? Stephen Kearney doesn't get one for winning the Rugby League World Cup. Let's talk about the depth. The depth is about the same. There's four countries that can win the Rugby League World Cup and there's four countries that can win the Netball World Cup. And within that, realistically, there's three in the Netball and realistically, there's three in Rugby League. Why does that work? How come none of these other sports have ever had knighthoods? Why hasn't Mark Sorensen, one of the greats of New Zealand softball, been knighted? Yet Buck Shelford. It's just such a popularity contest, isn't it? I don't know how they make these decisions, and when often when that, some of these lists come out and they you know they try sell it to you, you do think, oh no, I thought they would have probably considered this person beforehand, or you know, I, I kind of do dread uh, the All Blacks winning the World Cup next year and it becoming Sir Ian Foster. It's not going to happen though. It can't happen. And, but the thing is, Watto, it will happen if but, the All Blacks win the World Cup. It will happen. But, but Sir Gordon Titchens for sevens. I just sit there and go, and I've got nothing against Gordon. In fact, I spent a bit of time with him in Fiji, really liked the man, and I've gone into bat for him with that debacle around New Zealand rugby, basically screen him for the 2016 Olympics and players pulling out and 
suddenly not wanting All Blacks pulling out and saying they didn't want to actually go to the Olympics when really we probably know that they had their arms twisted in the background. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, how just... And often it's people getting knighted for just doing their job. They're paid well anyway. I mean, I, I still winds me up. I'm just not a fan at all, at all of Steve Hansen. I think he was... This is just my opinion, and it is an opinion, but I think he has been a big part of the reason why New Zealand rugby is struggling now. I think he hijacked the game. I think he, along with Steve Chu, turned us from being rugby fans to all-black fans, put every bit of resource around making his team and their team, i.e. the all-blacks, world beaters, at the expense of every other form of the game, lost a number of tests between 2015 and well, 2016 to 2019 said judge me on the World Cup and when we lost in the semi-final he wasn't judged he was given a knighthood for what? do you know how well paid these guys are? how well resourced they are? you know the great Arthur Lydia the great running coach never knighted Changed the world forever, athletics-wise. Brought a theory that basically has been implemented by every sports team in the world. It's called periodization. It's called teaching its athlete how to peak phases in terms of your aerobic strength and speed conditioning. Just wait for Dame Jacinda Ardern in a few years. I've put some money on it. The great socialist. But see, that's another one that's just ridiculous. I find the hypocrisy of it, eh? They're all great socialists, but all want to be knighted, all want to live the world of the elite. And by the way, just on that, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but if you're not a big fan of capitalism and somehow think socialism works, just have a look at the two Koreas, North Korea and South Korea. Tell me which one worked out a little bit better. We'll take a break. It is six minutes away from nine o'clock. Somebody texting in saying, you're spot on about Hanson and Q. All for themselves. It's just an opinion, but that I think if you go back and you look at the shift in rugby and you were to analyse it, look at some of the decisions made, then I don't think I'm too far off it in suggesting that the legacy and the way they perceived is not accurate. It's propaganda to a degree. And they're accountable for a lot of the issues that are facing the game now that this current administration are trying to clean up and not doing a particularly good job on. But this whole knighthood thing and this... I said it earlier, it's interesting how the media have done a whole lot of virtue signalling use women's rugby to promote women's sport, yet there's been so many women's athletes for so long competing brilliantly internationally who have been dying out for coverage, who haven't got any, and then suddenly the women's rugby team comes along and our media make out like it's a first for women's sport. And the only reason they're doing it is because it's women's rugby and they're jumping on the coattails of men's rugby and the media know they're going to get a reaction. They're insincere, the media. They don't believe a word they say if they genuinely wanted equity, they would have spent a lot more time over the years reporting on some very, very good women's athletes and some sports that are truly global. 
sports that are far more global than rugby. But the reason they haven't done it is because they don't think there's the viewership or the interest in it. So are they sincere or are they just virtue signalling, pretending to be sincere? But like anything, it's all about the money, it's all about viewership, it's all about readership. And I think it's the latter. We'll talk some baseball after 9 o'clock. It is 23 minutes after 9. Um, Mike texting and saying, Marcus, a horse today was scratched at Addington for suspected drug uptake. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you look at the money that is in horse racing, right? You look at the money that's in horse racing. You look at the money that's in breeding. You've only got to see the biggest sports in the world, the drug use that goes on for athletes. So for me to believe that the horse racing industry is squeaky clean is absolutely completely and utterly delusional. It's no different than the real estate industry, the banking industry. There's always going to be a rogue element in any of those big money-making ventures. You get a 1,000 people in a room, you'll have honest people, you'll have dishonest people, you'll have hard workers, you'll have lazy workers. Give them all a million dollars each, some will multiply their wealth, some will lose all of it, some will stick with what they had. That is society, that's mankind. Um, But yeah, look, we'll follow that one up. Uh, interesting day in Christchurch. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I look at that race today at Addington and I think to myself, I think people are there for the occasion. I'm not sure that they're necessarily um, going to suddenly become, you know, aficionados of horse racing and are going to be watching the racing channel every day or um, going to the TAB every day. Uh, but it's a great day out. Christchurch do it well. And... Yeah, it's, I, I guess it's to a degree it's our version of the Melbourne Cup, isn't it? But but like anything, it's got history and tradition. It'll just be interesting in time with the way society's moving, um, with our knowledge that we've got these days, with injustices around animal cruelty being reported a lot more, groups becoming more and more vocal. Um, how much longer horse racing stays relevant. It's not dissimilar to a degree with fireworks and guy forks. But nice to see that the industry is recognising perhaps um, things in the past that now are not deemed acceptable and actually addressing those issues around animal cruelty. Uh, I've got to say, I enjoyed the Melbourne Cup. I thoroughly enjoyed going back and watching Bone Crusher in the 80s. Uh, There's been some wonderful horses over the years that have captured our imagination. Empire Rose. Um, what was the horse that oh, won the Japan Cup? Um, oh, anyway, 1989, was it? Big race back then. I'm not sure what's happened to the Japan Cup these days. Huge race to the Japan Cup. That stopped the country too. Horlex. Horlex won the Japan Cup. Always remember those. It's it's interesting though, isn't it? I've never understood, like in Australia, James McDonald gets huge recognition as a jockey, considered to be the best jockey in the world. Certainly, the you know, New Zealander um, won the Melbourne Cup last year, clearly. Yet, he just doesn't get the recognition as being a sports person here, does he? And 
I struggle with that. I'm not sure what the difference between a race car driver and a jockey is. Yeah, you've got to have a very good horse, you've got to have a great car. But you talk to the great race car drivers, they say a good driver will find that 0.2 of a second a lap, which is huge in racing. And you listen to James McDonald speak, and he will talk about the feel for the horse, understanding the track, and all these little subtleties that are almost a, yeah, almost a, a, a natural intuition, which you can't necessarily learn. And why don't our jockeys get recognised? Is it because it's also blue collar and there's this still this, what's the word, perception that the only people that follow racing are people in old woolen 1960s, 70s suits that smoke and drink and live in shady bars. A little bit like the same people who support rugby league or possibly softball because softball's never been truly recognised in this country. Rugby league's never had anybody knighted, yet we've won a World Cup. Yet both netball, cricket and rugby, which tend to be more white-collar, have all had recognition. And that's where the hypocrisy is with a lot of the virtue signalling that's going on at the moment. They pick and choose what sports they want to go in and bat for and virtue signal around and often it's the sports that make sense commercially and as I said earlier and so therefore it's hard to take any of these major media organisations seriously because I'm not sure there is a lot of sincerity. It is 28 and a half minutes after nine. When we come back, Sam Brief from the Brisbane Bandits, the Australian, the, the Brisbane franchise in the Australian Baseball League. Next on the program. In the world of sport, it's extra time on SENZ. It is 27 minutes away from 10 o'clock. We've spent a bit of time tonight talking about the Auckland Tuatara, the New Zealand-based franchise in the Australian Baseball League. They fly out tomorrow. They take on the Brisbane Bandits in the first four-game series starting on Thursday the 10th. The Brisbane Bandits have brought in an American to commentate for them, to hopefully spread the love to inform, to educate, to bring some excitement. Sam Brief's his name. You will be familiar with Sam because he was a regular guest on Hoopheads throughout the domestic basketball season. Sam, good evening. Welcome. How are you? Hey, good evening from Brisbane. So great to talk with you guys. Uh, really, really an honour to be back on the air. I've missed you. Uh, look, we've missed you, big fella. Now, tell us, Sam, um, how did you pick up this particular gig? Yeah, well, I've wanted to come over here to Australia and to this league for a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong baseball fan and now a, a commentator. And I first met someone, a mate of mine from university who worked in this league, and he told me all about it and about his time living in Brisbane and 
commentating baseball here and I was infected. I mean, I was like, man, I got to get over there as soon as possible. So reached out to uh, a bunch of different teams, got hooked up with Brisbane and, and fell in love with the organization right away. I mean, this is a top class organization and uh, I just got here on Friday and I'm loving every second so far. Yeah. Look, it's a, it's a league that's got great history. It's a league that's heavily mm-hmm. supported by the major league clubs. Uh, Brisbane, mm-hmm. one of the real stalwarts. New Zealand, a relatively new franchise. Uh, only the two seasons, then two seasons due to COVID, not involved. Um, so, yeah, what, what's, what do Americans generally know about the Australian Baseball League? It's referred to over there as a winter league. Yeah, so the concept of winter ball is something that's really familiar with a lot of diehard American baseball fans. But a lot of the main leagues that Americans know about are the ones in our time zone, right? Which is the Dominican League, the Mexican League, the Venezuelan League. All of those are in in waking hours for an American, right? ABL is a little less familiar just in that it's happening at a totally different time. But what we're really excited about is we've got this new OTT platform through Sports Radar that is going to allow American fans to watch on demand and follow a lot of the big league talent, future big league talent that's going through the ABL. So it's a concept that's familiar with the Americans just because of how many big league prospects and big league players have gone through winter ball. And of course, Americans have always been fascinated by Australia because you have no language barrier, right? And uh, just a lot of cultural familiarity with the country. Yeah, you said you've been in Brisbane since Friday. So have you had much of a chance to get to know the players on the Brisbane roster? And what have you made of the particular lineup this year? Yes, sir. It's, it's a very well-balanced lineup. So the interesting thing about this team and this league is the fact that the last two years have been pretty wonky, right? So like everything in the world with COVID happening, it was sort of a half season, right? The Auckland wasn't even a part of it. Brisbane wasn't able to get any import players from America. So it looked different. You now have, with this Brisbane team, a lot of their core players from the four championship teams are back. So an example is a Donald Lutz, who used to be on the Cincinnati Reds. He's back. TJ Bennett, who set a league record with 16 home runs a couple years ago. He's back. So a lot of those top players have returned. In addition, you've got a ton of players from the Milwaukee Brewers. So Brisbane manager Dave Nilsson, he was a former Brewers all-star catcher. So he's got the organizational tie with Milwaukee. He's brought over a bunch of prospects from the Brewers system. So the first two pitchers uh, for this opening series, which are going to be Cameron Wagoner and Max Lazar, they both come from the Milwaukee Brewers system. So there's a lot of top import talent with his Brisbane team, and it's really going to look very similar to the team that won four straight championships, right, and really built a dynasty here in Brisbane. Yeah, and what do you make of the Tuatara, relatively new team within the Australian Baseball League, but made a real statement a couple of years ago? What are the Australian teams expecting out of this Auckland-based franchise? Well, Auckland's legit this year. I mean, totally uh, stacked with talent, not only from some farm systems like the Padres and the Texas Rangers, but also top import talent, right? Toru Murata 
who played in Major League Baseball, a ton of Asian talent uh, from some of the top Asian leagues. This is a really well-balanced roster. And, I mean, Auckland proved under Steve Mintz that they were no laughing matter, right? They came into the league and won their division right away. So this is an Auckland franchise that's new to the league, but from the sense I've gotten in working in the league already for a couple months is Auckland's got a lot of respect, right, in the way they do things. So this is a well-balanced roster, and I think it's a really interesting round one matchup between one of the newest teams in the ABL in Auckland against one of the dynasties, right, with the four championships in Brisbane. So it should be a really fun one that we get to see twice during the season. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the stadium that Brisbane play in and tell us a little bit about the fan base and sort of the expectation. I'm looking at it right now. It is beautiful. This is Viticon Stadium. Brisbane's been playing here for almost a full decade now. It's a gem. And right now I'm talking to you at 6.30 Brisbane time. And this is when the season will be starting. It's a 6 o'clock start on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's beautiful sunset over the field. It's an older ballpark, so it's got some charm. Uh, capacity of about a thousand and in terms of the fan base you know what you can expect is actually a lot of Taiwanese fans will be here on especially Friday and Saturday to see Daikon Yo who's a Taiwanese born three-time all-star out of uh, the Nippon League in Japan there's gonna be a huge fan base of almost a thousand Taiwanese fans here just to see him so it will be a loaded really energetic environment uh, for Brisbane and Auckland yeah, do, do we have any sort of, I mean, it's difficult. I know the Tuatara team have only really just come together. Uh, not a lot of opportunity to play any sort of uh, pre-games heading into the start of the ABL. Has it been the same with the Brisbane Bandits? I mean, how do we, do you have sort of a sense of the cohesion that we're likely to see in this first series? Well, they're building a lot of it right now, actually, in front of my eyes. I'm here at the ballpark. They've got a a team practice session right now. They also did play uh, squad scrimmage on Thursday night. So they did split the team up into two and they had the blue squad against the yellow squad. Um, I'm told the final score was three to three. So it was clearly very well balanced. Um, but yeah, you know, in a league like this, you often do just sort of put the team together last second and figure it out the first few weeks of the season, because there just isn't that much time, right? Especially the American import players are flying in and then, you know, they have to get time adjusted and then the season starts. Mm. So in terms of team cohesion, they're building it right now. And I think, you know, a lot of the Milwaukee players, for example, they know each other. A lot of the Australian players, they've played for over a decade with each other. So a lot of that cohesion is built in. But like I said, it's also being built right now. Uh, with mm. practices this week. Yeah, I understand maybe for the first two series for um, the Brisbane Bandits that you might be a little bit short as a number of the Australian players are away on international mm-hmm. duty. Yes, absolutely. So like Sam Holland, for example, Tim Atherton, uh, who's the team captain for Team Australia, and then the manager and pitching coach, Dave Nilsson and Jim Bennett, they're both in Japan. So they'll be coming in Hello, Sam. Nice. So the first two, but um, you know, obviously for a good reason. It's it's going to play a big role in growing the Australian baseball name and brand 
by playing the number one team in the world over in Japan. Sam, hey, look, all the very best with the call on Thursday night. Looking forward to tuning in, looking forward to dialing in. Um, yeah, we, we um, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating just to sort of get a sense of where both teams are at um, so early in the season and at the start of a new season. So, look, good luck to the Bandits. Not too much luck, I hope, because I've got to say that my allegiances are very much with the Tuatara. Thank you so much. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. Appreciate you sending uh, the best of luck and certainly looking forward to meeting you down in Auckland soon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. Uh, Sam Brief calling for the Brisbane Bandits and I fortunately and lucky enough will be calling for the Tuatara. Um, Hopefully working with possibly downtown Max Brown. Not sure yet. Um, But yeah, no, fascinating. Wonderful competition. Do encourage people to get along and watch some Australian Baseball League. Do get along to North Harbour Stadium and watch the Auckland Tuatara. I think tomorrow morning here on SENZ, I think Ricardo's got possibly some team members from the Tuatara on the programme as well. Um, don't underestimate just how big baseball is. Very, very cool sport. I've got to admit that I went in being very much a cricket fan, a little bit ignorant, always watched baseball when I was living in Japan, watched a lot of baseball when I was living in Japan when I was 18, 19 and 20 because it was always on television. Um, Always followed the major leagues, always watched the World Series, thought I knew a little bit about the game and then realised as a commentator I actually knew nothing. Um, And then as I delved more into it, leant on a lot of people, um, you realise the subtleties and you realise why the Americans are so um, captivated by it and why so many other countries around the world also consider it to be their number one sport, countries like Japan. They present it beautifully at North Harbour. They do a really, really good job. 14 and a half minutes away from 10. The 2022 FIFA World Cup kicks off November.